episode 76. It's the Rojo Show podcast. I've got my friend Dan here. I don't feel the need to say your last name. All Dan's right. enough. That's enough. I know who I am. Dan. Dan's a super interesting guy. Um, would you, okay, so like, as far as like musicianship, would you go with drummer first? Mm-hmm. Do you call yourself a drummer? Yeah. You play other music, you play other instruments. Uh, yeah, en- enough, just to, I mean, I teach, that's my day job, is I teach bands, so I tell you, I play everything enough to get a kid started, but I only take money to play drums. I feel you. How long have you been doing that, like? Do you, like, are you, like, a, uh, did you have, like, some garage band at some point? Oh, absolutely. Many of them. Sure. Really? Wh- I how- started, so, uh, I guess, musically, the uh, the history starts with, like, piano lessons when I was a little kid. Okay. And that was forced upon me by my parents. And I absolutely. had this old lady who lived in the neighborhood that taught piano, and I never practiced, and she cried a lot at our lessons. And then, uh, <laughs> it was a little uncomfortable. And then, finally, like, I graduated eighth grade, and I got to quit piano and I wanted to play guitar because it was cooler and I did that and then uh but just to be cl- up in the, up until that point up until eighth grade when you quit you've been playing for how long uh I guess like since I was 10 so four years okay something like that okay but I didn't learn anything I learned I learned how to watch her hands and do what she did but yeah. is it is it fair to say in hindsight that you learned more than you learned more than you thought you did then I mean I guess yeah because like there are studies that like even if you just like fuck around with an instrument as a yeah. kid, like it's way easier to like learn it when you're when you're older. Oh sure, because I mean it was the piano, so you see all the notes, right? Mm-hmm. And I could figure out the relationship between this note and that note, and how many notes were in between. Sure. So just from like exploring, I figured out a lot of stuff. Okay. Like that, but I didn't really learn how to do anything. Right. right I just right. learned the the math of it, I guess. Love me tender. You probably played love me. Probably tender. did, yeah. Whatever was in the, the the purple book, I did that for a long time. Yeah, okay. that's pretty much all we did. So then you started playing guitar. Yep, and then uh, it was time to sign up for high school, and I told them that I played music, and they asked if you want to be in band. I said yes, and they said, what do you play? And I said, I play piano and a little bit of guitar, and they're just like, well, we have a fucking marching band, so you can play bass drum. So they put me there, and uh, I quit after the first day because I didn't know how to read music. Oh. I never paid, I never paid attention to okay. that. And... Uh, Everybody else knew what they were doing, and I was just total fish out of water. Nobody else I knew was in the band there, and it was uh, I was just really uncomfortable and super-duper shy. So by lunchtime, I was like, that's enough for me. And I went through the afternoon, and then I never showed back up again. And then uh, later on through the school year, I made friends, obviously, and one of my buddies was in band, and we did, they did this big Christmas concert. And it was in the gym, and everyone did their thing, and they did Sleigh Ride with the big... Two pieces of wood that they clapped together. Okay. The whole thing. Okay. And uh, I thought that was the coolest shit ever. And there was this really pretty girl in the front row who played clarinet. And I went to an all-boys school, and I was like, I need to go be back in the band. Because that's where the girls are, and that's where that big piece of wood is, and all that was interesting to me. What school did you go to? Notre Dame. In Niles. It's like an all-boys Catholic school. Okay, okay. And uh, so we, it was an all-boys school, but they linked up with an all-girls school for band. Are they now one school now? No, they're still separate, but oh, they okay. still link for band, okay, which is, okay. I think, kind of neat. No, for sure. Um, um, and the years I was there, they were not very good, but now they're like one of the best bands in the area. Right. Anyway, so I signed up to be near that girl, and turned out that she was not as interesting up close as she was from far away. Um, but I was in the band. 
And that's sort of where I sort of started. Playing okay. bass drum and band there, and then me and this other guy were just kind of interested in stuff. So we would screw around on the weekends, and I would play guitar, and he'd play drums. And in school, we all played drums and did that whole marching band thing. And then college time, I went to Berkeley. Okay. And now, at, at risk of dating yourself, at eighth, when, when you said you were in eighth grade, you said like you, you quit playing piano because mm. you thought guitar was cool. Mm. What music were you listening to that had you thinking guitar was oh, so Nirvana cool and okay. Pearl Jam and okay. Metallica and Green Day. Okay. All the hits. Early Green Day. Yeah. This is yeah. like, so you Dookie album. You were like getting into music right at like, like, you're like a legit like grunge kid. I was then. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Soundgarden was amazing. Uh, that was like, that was the first music I learned, figured out by ear. But at the same time, like, Somehow, I was really into Lenny Kravitz. Okay. Which is obviously not the same. Similar that it's all on MTV, right? Right. But once you get past, like, are you going to go my way, that shit's really interesting. And it's still, I mean, it's still it's still rock, rock and roll, right? It is. But it's way more soulful and way more, uh, a lot of it is like almost like smooth jazz almost, right? Okay. It still has a good groove, sure. and it's all very, very rock, because it's all him doing everything. Mm-hmm. But the harmony is... Seventh chords, which is very different than, you know, Soundgarden. He did everything. That was very, that was something also that like attracted cool. me to him a lot. Yeah. As such a this I'm going off. I just have a couple questions just mm. based on this grunge shit. So were you like heavily affected by this whole Chris Cornell thing? No. No, I have uh, it's I have a weird sort of collector's psychology where like I get really into a thing for a little while, and then I get into something else and that other thing is not super important to me anymore. Mm-hmm. Which is something that I like about myself and also hate about myself. Um, hate maybe is a strong word, but don't like about myself. Mm-hmm. That um, uh, when I'm into a thing, I'm, I'm pretty much all in and I like have, I really dive deep and then I kind of move on to something else. Like that guy, uh, Chris Cooper's character from Adaptation. Okay. Remember that, that movie? No. Uh, I just know it's a Spike Jones movie. And it's awesome. It's, it's fucking good. List. I like it. But he does this whole thing. He's like, I was into fucking fish for so much. And then you know, I got saltwater tanks and this whole thing. And he goes through this whole thing. And then all of a sudden, fuck fish. And like he went into something else. Okay. Like, I really related to that character yeah, yeah. in that way. So. Word. So, yeah. Uh, Chris Cornell. Not a big deal for me. Sad, of course. Do you listen to Foo Fighters? Yeah. Okay. I have opi- I have opinions about Foo Fighters. Do you? Yeah. What opinions? They're really do you have interesting. About Foo so I, I just watched this. <laughs> why did, uh, wait? Why did you light up like? Because I, I I think about it a lot. Oh, okay. Go ahead. So they, uh, um, the story is awesome. There's a big documentary about it that they they did that Sonic Highways thing, which was interesting, right? Sonic Highways. Where he like they went from city to city to city, and Dave Grohl wrote a song. Okay. Yeah. After like wandering the city and talking yeah, yeah, yeah. to the musicians, Dave Grohl does a lot of cool. Stuff. He does a lot of cool shit, right? Um, which I love. And this documentary kind of went through their whole history where he basically had the offer to like play drums with Tom Petty as soon as Nirvana went away. Okay. And turned it down because he had this idea of this like music that he was making on his own. He had this little cassette tape that he made okay. where he did all the parts and sang all the songs or whatever. Very Lenny Kravitzy. Very, right? And it's amazing. It's so respectable. Mm-hmm. So then he finds a band and gets the guys from Sunday Day Real Estate, which is another awesome grunge band from that era. And, uh, is going for it. And, like, it's just, this is my vision, and the the cast of band members is just super-duper rotational for whatever reason. People mm-hmm. don't stick around. And the Foo Fighters? Right. Except for the drummer, right? 
No, he's, he's like pretty, an afterthought. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, he's not afterthought. He's been there for a long time. They've right, been right. around for 20-something years. But uh, he wasn't the original drummer. Okay. It was, well, Dave Grohl played all the parts, but then they hired the guy from um, Sunday Day Real Estate, and Dave Grohl didn't think he was good enough, or didn't didn't think the same way that Dave Grohl was thinking. So he's like, I'm a drummer, and I kind of know how I want this to sound. Right, and I, right, there right. was like a weird, the story's pretty cool, actually. There's a weird sort of... Uh, tiptoeing on eggshells type thing. I don't want to tell you what to play. I want you to feel that it's yours. But, but play it like this. Right, right. Here. You know? Sure. And uh, so it didn't work out, whatever. And then they hired the Taylor Hawkins guy. And he's been there so, ever since. Mm. But uh, Taylor, that's his name. I'm sitting here going through girls' names that are guys' names, too. Yeah. trying to remember what his name was. And he's great, right? Yeah, he's like yeah. a super, like, Stuart Copeland-influenced drummer. I like him. And the punctuation that he plays with is... My favorite shit in rock and roll. Okay. So that's like my the stuff I love about the Foo Fighters is the way it's like all super simple, and it's all really like square corners as far as you know these four bars this happens and then the next four bars this guitar gets added and then four bars later the cymbal moves from hi hat to the bell of the light cymbal. It's mm-hmm. all very square in that way. Okay. But then they throw these cool little rhythm kicks in there. Sure. And these little moments of silence and space that just catch you sort of out of left field. And it's awesome. It's yeah. super interesting every time, and there's so many surprises inside of that music. For sure. But Uh-oh. I don't care about any of it. Because I got to them way after I was into all that. Uh-huh. And I just think it's awesome compositionally, um, and it's fun to listen to, but I don't know any of any of the words. I don't connect with any of the music on an emotional level. I just find it really interesting compositionally. Like, to the absolute maximum that I could be interested in a rock and roll tune hmm. from a, like a, a musical standpoint. Okay. But I don't care about any of it at all. Huh. It's very, very interesting. And I think it's awesome that he still does it in his garage, right? Right. And they got like uh, the Grammy for Best Album when they, you know, they spent all this money, millions of dollars on whatever record. I can't remember which one it was because I don't care about any of it. But right. one of them. <laughs> and then uh, they scrapped all that expensive shit, did it in his garage, and that was album of the year that year. Yeah, I think that's yeah. badass. Yeah. It's so respectable. Yeah. And he bought that old board from like that... Uh, Sound City. Yeah, 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 yeah. That shit was crazy. That's crazy. Oh, that, that documentary was really good, I too. I agree. Yeah, and he's super knowledgeable and well-spoken. He works a crowd in a great way. Yeah. And he plays drums for like how many different bands? A whole bunch. Like he won drummer of the year for, uh, I think, that band, that, that album that he wrote with... Uh, who are the guys... Queens of the Stone Age. Queens of the Stone Age, you played with them, right? Yeah. And then uh, he did that ProBot project where it was all these old heavy metal, death right, metal right, guys. Yeah. There was like a rotating lineup for that on every track. And he's, he's, he's was great. Was Johnny Depp playing with them? Oh, I don't know about that. Then they, play, they played at the Grammys together or something, right? And Johnny Depp was playing guitar with like... Uh, I'm not surprised. This crazy. I'm not surprised. And he played on the Tenacious D album, too. Yeah. I'm going to sing Everlong to My Child. It's a great song. It's an awesome song. It is. Video. All of it. That might great. be a Spike Jones video too. I don't, I don't know. know. Or Chris Cunningham, one of them. But yeah, their shit's great. But I don't care about it. But Varsity also, Blues. There goes my hero. That whole montage. song is amazing. Whew. That song is amazing. And it's but hard. I, I got <laughs> yeah, dude. I had I got to play that in college for uh, one one summer. I like worked for for the school. And they did this big, you know, guitar week for all the high school kids that come mm. to Berkeley for the summer, and do this thing. And that was the, the ensemble I was with. This is Berkeley. Berkeley College of Music in Boston. Boston. Yeah. Okay. My boy so it's like 
like jazz conservatory, basically. Yeah, but my guy Will went there for uh, for vocal performance. It's great. Yeah. It was so fun. That's so fun. And then you came back to Chicago. Yeah. Um. So I majored in music education because, as I look back on my life, I think it's always for me been more about teaching and, you know, interacting with people about interesting things than mm-hmm. it was about music. Music was my is my passion. Was my passion has been for a long time, but I think. My 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 sort of professional life is more about more about teaching than it is about music, I suppose. And the music has been the vehicle that I use okay. to teach. But yeah, so I majored in music education at Berkeley. Uh, graduated and stayed there for a year or so, like teaching lessons and touring in a jam band and doing all that stuff. Okay, that was, yeah, another interesting era. And then uh, jam band. and then I came back because my parents were. 50s at that time, mid 50s, mm-hmm. and and still getting around pretty good, and I wanted to be around my folks, okay, as much as I could. That's so if I'm gonna plant roots, I wanted to come back home. Nice. And then you've been in Chicago ever since. Yes. So you've never lived anywhere else outside of college. Uh, that year right after college, I stayed in Boston, but yeah, I never. Where you went to college? That's right. Okay, cool, cool. That's right. Can Can you mouth to me how old you are? You don't want me to say it out loud. You can say it out loud. I would uh, thirty-seven. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, I'm thirty-two. Yeah, just turned thirty-two in December. Congrats. Thanks. It doesn't get better. But it don't does. say that. <laughs> it's, it, it hurts more, but you, it's it's, it's more. Dan, fun. you're one of the first guys that gave me hope that it could get better. It does. It's fun because you you see things differently, but everything is. I don't know. I'm noticing now. Like I wake up and shit doesn't feel like it used to. Like, oh yeah, yeah. I'm like that doesn't get better. I'm like nursing my foot right now mm. and like just taking a week off and like just working out. Not even like fun stuff. It's mm. not like I went rock climbing <laughs> or I took up skateboarding. This is just regular. Just trying to yeah. trying to keep the fucking meat machine going. Yeah, man. And it's breaking down in the process of that. That's all right. But um, do you remember like uh? Okay, when, when do you, like, is it weird to ask you when did you get into hip-hop? No. Um, I don't know how to answer that, though. Because hip-hop was obviously present while Forever. You, yeah. Yeah, but for like, my whole life. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But, like, from what you're saying, like, if you're, like, super into, like, this grunge shit, then you're, like, well, that t-shirt, that was into it. That was, like... Thirteen-year-old Dan to like eighteen-year-old Dan. Okay. Maybe sixteen-year-old Dan. Okay. But like eleven-year-old Dan to like thirteen-year-old Dan was all about like B ninety six, and that's not really hip hop, but it was all about that. Sure, sure, sure. And uh, you know, like um, cross-colored jeans and shit like that. I tried on some personalities. <laughs> yeah, I tried on some stuff. I had like this big black and blue striped Carl Kanai hoodie that I used to love so much. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I guess I, I said it took me a long time to figure out who I was going to be and who I was comfortable being as like as, like just a person on earth. Because I grew up in this like sheltered northwest side of Chicago community where right. it's like a lot of police families, all white at the time, um, and it was. Uncomfortable for me for whatever reason. Right. Um, I don't I don't know why, but I know that I never like connected deeply with any of my friends there. I didn't know that at the time. I just thought I was weird, and I I didn't I didn't know how I fit into like that whole social circle. Mm-hmm. I knew I loved my family and all that, and they're fantastic. But 
you know, people have this sort of habit of drawing lines and batching themselves together in these tribes, right? And everybody that I, everybody that I was growing up with that I thought I wanted to be around was all one way, and I knew that I wasn't really that way. Whether it was like they're all into baseball, mm-hmm. and I didn't give a shit about baseball. Or they're all into cars, and they knew about all these, you know, Porsche number, 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 number model cars. <laughs> okay. And they would talk about how cool this was and high-five over it. And I was, I was into watching, like, stand-up comedians on Showtime. That was, okay. like, my favorite thing at the time. Nice. And, like, my dream was to be one of the kids in the hall when I was 10 years old. You know? So, like, strange. Okay. Compared just, to everybody else. I just bought the second around. season of that so on good. DVD. It's also good. Hilarious. It's so good. And uncomfortable now to, like, watch. It is. Right? Yeah. Because they have, like... It gets... Yeah, it gets wild. Dude. Like, I just want to have a period. They got this, like, gay guy on there. Mm-hmm. And, like, he's saying some shit that, like, you definitely couldn't... Right. Definitely couldn't say But that. still funny. Very right? funny. It's great. So, like, I didn't know who I, was, who I felt just, like being. Have you seen Dave Chappelle's new specials? No, it's on my okay. list, though. Okay. The, like, from two nights ago? Yeah. Yeah, it's on my list. I, I was going to put it on last night, and I was like, I don't have the, the attention span for this right now. And I watched... Uh, a little bit of the new um, Pirates of the Caribbean movie instead. Okay. Something I could not pay attention to and just leave up. Got it. You know? That's what's up. Because his stuff is amazing. Like, I saw the Les Chappelle stuff that he did like three months ago or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And it's golden. Yeah. My, so I assume uh, this is just as good. Yeah, my friend Will, uh, who I was telling you about to Berkeley or whatever, mm-hmm. he sent me like a last minute ticket to his Radio City Music Hall thing. Yeah. And it was, like, the night that he had, like, the special guest or whatever. So, like, Neil Brennan performed, and then Ashley Larry performed, and then he did a set. And then Kendrick Lamar was, like, oh, the special awesome. guest or whatever. But some of the stuff he said, some of the stuff from the special he said there, which I guess he was just, like, working it out or whatever. But, like, he's got a bunch of new shit, and mm-hmm. it's hilarious. And then there's two of them. There's, like, one where he's, like, up, you know, in front of a big crowd, and there's right. one where he's sitting on a stool in front of, like, 60 people. Oh. I can't wait. It's on the list. Yeah, yeah, it's high. It's high on the list. Yeah, it's really good. But um, I believe it. But yeah, hip hop. I just was trying to figure out who I was going to be and like plugging into this circle and it didn't feel right. Plugging into that circle and then I went to Catholic school and right across the street was like a public school. Okay. And in our like school environment, we were taught you know don't hang out with those public school kids. It's sure. you hang out here. This is the time in Chicago where like by design kids were just bust all over the place and mm-hmm. teachers were just sent to schools in an effort to like desegregate the city right, right. right? Um, obviously failed effort um, but it was all these kids from the west side and from the south side that were bust god knows how far mm-hmm. up to the far northwest side to go to to go to elementary school and we were told not to hang out with those kids basically in so many words and then I started hanging out with some of those kids and it was like, those were my best friends at that time. Sure. Like, seventh and eighth grade, those were my buddies. And, you know, they kind of turned me on a little bit to, like, that's when, like, Notorious B.I.G. was sort of starting, and I learned about it that way. And I don't know. Growing up, just, like, interesting stuff comes in your lap through whatever channel. Sure. And it's good. I mean, you, you listen to it, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of how I, I guess, like, the other way, right? Because, mm-hmm. like, um... Like I went to this uh, private, like K through high school, so Mark Morgan Park Academy, mm-hmm. and um, like I was coming there with you know my like hip hop stuff, and then like you know that's where I got hip to like Q one hundred one, right. So then like that's where I found out like you know uh, Nine Inch Nails, a perfect drug, is like my favorite song for like a long time. Yeah, 
and then um uh who did like smack my bitch up uh prodigy the prodigy totally great dave Grohl played songs on one of their albums like, probably like five or six years ago that was pretty crazy but yeah like the prodigy like that type of shit mm-hmm. and like obviously nirvana was on there and like Weezer. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, great. Yeah, like a bunch of shit. Um, do you remember, like, like the first, like... Well, I guess that's weird, right? Because, um, like, rock music, like, you were, like, you were learning an instrument along with it, right? Yeah. So, like, the first songs you probably remember memorizing are probably, like, songs like that. Or do you have, like, some, like, weird, like, I was in love with this TV intro. Like, I uh, knew this shit was hot. Yeah. Like, That's a good uh, like, I mean, it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty standard, but, like, that one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, that shit from Sesame Street, yep. that shit was hot. Mm-hmm. The, the pinball thing. Oh, yeah. That shit yeah, yeah, yeah. So, are you asking, like, what turned me on about music? Sure. Or like, do you, what are like your your earliest like musical memories? Uh, I don't know, man. I, for so I guess with pop music, I suppose with like popular music, it was listening to um, that song "Daughter" by Pearl Jam, and hearing. That like this is guitar music that actually sounds cool because that was like the beginning of me paying attention to, I guess that sort of grunge rock thing was that okay. second Pearl Jam album, um, and how it was just different and interesting because I still to this day I, I hear like the first introduction on a different beat than like when the vocals start and like you ever get that where you like you hear like the one is in a different spot okay and then it when something else like the drums enter it moves over sure and. Uh, that's one of the songs for me. That still I, I, I hear as unique. And um, I was listening to like Boys to Men at that time and like that whole silk and shy and like that was my thing at that <laughs> okay. time in my life. And uh, I don't know, Pearl Jam Daughter was one of the first that turned me over into that. Okay. Um, and then I guess, yeah, that, that is the, the one that pops out into my mind. I know that was a terrible example. Oh, and uh, there's a movie called Last Action Hero. That's yeah. a Schwarzenegger movie yeah, from like yeah, yeah. back then. And ACDC had a track for that movie called um, Big Gun. Okay. And that was like the first big guitar song. And I was just like, well, that, that, it turned the switch on for me a little bit. It's got this little, just, but there's those two, those two hits in the beginning. Right, right. I was just like, whoa, what's Hardcore. that? That is interesting to me. Okay. And then I kind of, that was... The, the breadcrumb trail that got me into a lot of that more and, heavy and stuff. And you found that through the Through movie. watching TVs, yeah. Okay. Through the movie. That's what's up. Yeah. Yeah, so not good stories, but two. Those are, those are my two that I can that I can think of. It happens. Yeah. Whatever, however it happens. You know? Mm-hmm. Like yeah, I, that's true. I remember my first rap song, I, like the first rap song I feel like I memorized was Regulator. Mm-hmm. I just listened to that yesterday, actually. Yeah. 104.3, dude. It's changing people's lives. <laughs> it's really good. It's changing people's lives. It's reminding yeah. you of stuff that, like, mm-hmm. you forgot, you forgot. And, so at the time, that was huge, right? When that came out, everyone was like, regulator? Mm-hmm. Everybody went for it. And, I don't know, I sort of by default, I, like, try to, this is a little pretentious, I guess, but even as a kid, like, if everyone's into it, 
I feel like that's not worth checking out because everybody else already checked sure. it out. I've always been sort of curious about the, the side road into something. Mm-hmm. So I, I avoided it for a long time. And then as a, like in college, young adult, I kind of rediscovered it. And then it's Michael McDonald, right? Yeah. Which... Keep forgetting. So uh, great. That group is amazing. More. Yeah, that group is yeah, amazing. Yeah. So not. like, I don't know, I have this amazing new, appre- uh, this new appreciation for that tune as like the sampling of Michael McDonald. Right. And that, that tune's good too. No, up. but at the time, it is. I was, I was not into it. He, him, and um, him and uh, who's his partner from uh, the Doobie Brothers? Kenny Loggins. Is it? I don't know. They just did a song with this uh, this bass player Thundercat. Not like they're all like singing on it together. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. I believe Thundercat's it. hot. He's like this like classically trained bass player. He rips. I'll put on my list. But yeah. Um, do you want to talk about being a teacher? Sure. Yeah. Do you want, you want to ask me some questions? Yeah. You don't have to shout out the t- the school you teach at. Okay. Um, can you describe it though? Yeah. Um. So the school I'm at now is uh, not far from where I live. It's just five or six minutes from my house, which is fantastic. What area do you live in now? Uh, Portage Park, so okay. the northwest side of the city. Not all the way north and not all the way west, but out that way. Okay. So it's like uh, Montrose and Narragansett. That's you guys are still trying schools. to sell the house? No, that all oh. fell through, actually. Not so selling still, the house anymore? Correct. Nice. Well, yeah. I, don't, I don't want to say nice. No, I love, we love our house. Okay, it was cool, just cool, cool. Uh, an opportunity came up, and we took a swing, and it didn't work out, which is fine. Yeah, I love our house a lot. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that's where I live and work in sort of the same community, which is awesome because I see my kids at the Jewel, and I see my kids at the park, and, you know, at the pool in the summertime, and I'm you there mean with like my your, boys, your, my students. Got it, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I'm, we're, I've got my son on my shoulder, and we're jumping around in the pool, and there's, you know, Elliot from my, you know, Tuesday music class. Okay. It's there. Nice. Which is it's just fantastic. Okay. And it, for a couple different reasons. One, it's just great for the kids to see that their teachers are real people, mm-hmm. right? And they have real families and real experiences. Absolutely. Um, two, it's great because I get to say, hey, you know, Eduardo, you left your French horn at school today. You got to practice that just so they get that extra nudge. Sure. Without hammering on them. Sure, but sure, like sure. just the little nudge or is, being is huge. intrusive. Like that's a lot exactly. better than like calling the home or mm-hmm. like sending some note home. That's right. I totally agree. Having their parents sign mm-hmm. to confirm or some shit like that. And even if we don't talk, just seeing each other sure. That builds relationships. Absolutely. Right? We are I'm the people in your neighborhood. Got it. And I think that that connects them to It's kind of an old school kind of feel, right? I agree. Sure. I agree. I I I think I think it's important. Um and I love that about my situation. Um, so yeah, I'm there. It's it's a regular neighborhood school, and the way Chicago works, right? There's a lot of those like magnet schools and charter schools mm-hmm. and all these different selective enrollment schools that you know parents can try to get their kids to get into. Right. Mine is just regular neighborhood school, so everyone who lives within this boundary goes there. Would you send your kids to your school? That's a really great question, and that's actually one of the reasons that we were moving. Right. I, no, I don't feel comfortable sending my kid to my school. Okay. Um, Again, for a couple reasons. One, I'm the music teacher there, so it's not as though they could be at that school and have me maybe for second grade and then never have me again. Right. Like again. a lot of other, because a lot of other teachers okay. at my school, their kids do go sure, there, sure. right? And the, when they organize rooms from one year to the next, they just try to avoid putting a child in his parents' homeroom or Got her it. parents' homeroom. 
and it's been fine. Um, if you're the music teacher, they have to see you every, every year, year, right? Okay. And then they have to watch their friends interact with me in ways that could be great or could be pretty awful, right? Okay, And sure. that's going to change someone's perspective of their peers or of their f- parents. Sure. And I think it's more healthy to keep that a little bit more separate. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, Because yeah, yeah. if a kid is... If a kid is just great for whatever reason and a really great clarinet player and is in my band, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to talk about how wonderful this kid is and have them model this exercise for the other class and give them all these leadership responsibilities. Potentially, if my son would be a trumpet player in that group, feel like a little bit of resentment maybe, sure. right? Um, but at least questions about the relationship yeah. because there's, there's a duality there. Sure. That if it's able to avoid, I want to try to avoid it and let them have their own universe okay you know um the other side of that would be if a kid's just being a piece of garbage and just being disrespectful for the purpose of entertaining all of their friends which happens in any school environment right sure. um and my son is in that same room while this other kid is like motherfucking the teacher basically that's gonna really change the way that my son potentially would look at his parent sure right or it'll 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 affect it in some way. Absolutely. That's unnecessary. So I want to, again, just let, let that be as separate as possible. Sure. But then on top of that, my school still has a lot of room to grow as far as, you know, implementing good systems for, for you know, intervening when there are um, either learning issues that a kid might need or behavioral issues that a kid might need to help, okay. need help with. There's still a little bit more growing to do. Okay. And I don't feel that the school I am at is quite ready. Okay. Yeah. How many um, How many other male teachers are there at your school other than you? That's a great question. One, two, three. All three. white guys? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and the staff is like 50. And there are three three male teachers. Four. Okay. Four, okay. including me. And, and then our principal and uh, the AP are both, uh, white, are both males also. Okay. One guy's white and one guy's uh, Mexican. Okay. What kind of uh, what kind of racial makeup are the students? It's about sixty percent Hispanic of like various Latino you the know same. avenues. Sure. Um, then there's probably twenty percent, uh, like Polish, Eastern okay. European. Okay. Like that neighborhood has got a big Polish population, uh, Ukrainian, that sure. whole that whole area. Okay. Um, and then the other the other bit is just kind of a mix. There's kids from Palestine. There's kids from, from all over. Okay. And then there's just like. Irish kid from the neighborhood. You know Are there any mean? black kids at this school? Yeah, a handful. A handful okay. at the most. But it's a, I it's think. a weird area. That's right. Like That's that. right. Okay. Um, I can probably count on, both hands, the number of black families. Okay. In our nine hundred kid school. Is. Outside of like like okay so like how how big is like the average class size? Uh, depending on the grade level, I would say between twenty five and thirty. Okay. There's some that are a little lower, and there's one or two that are a little larger. Okay. That's not. Uh, I mean. It's good for CPS. It's good. That's good. But for learning, it's not good. Right. Okay. That's what I was gonna say. Like I was I was trying to find like it, ideally, mm-hmm. that's probably too many kids in a class. Oh right? sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Ideally, like, 18 is, is where it's at because you have enough for group work and various relationships to kind of form sure. and various, like, you know, multiple leadership responsibilities to kind of take mm-hmm. shape. But you also don't have so many kids where 
you uh, you can't build great relationships with thirty five kids right. at the same time and manage those with the attention to personal detail that I think obviously then you can with half as many right. So you can invest twice as much into a class of eighteen than you can into a class of thirty six. Sure. Do you feel like? Um... <clears throat> Do you feel you have, like, an ideal teacher experience being a music teacher? Like, at what grade does music class become less like recess and more like like serious business? That's a really good question. Um, I, I'm, I'm interpreting, when you say recess, I'm interpreting, like, singing and dancing games. Yeah, or Rather, like, you know, we're all going to come in, we're going to pick an instrument, and we're going to, you know, play along to this song, uh -huh. or, you know... Yeah, we don't really do too much of that, even in at kindergarten. Like, okay. starting back all the way down at, like, five years old, it is a lot of, you know, games and dancing and sure. singing and playing instruments, but it's always, like, within a unit. Okay. The way that I have, like, a partner teacher, another music teacher at our school, okay. which is very, very abnormal. To have two full-time music teachers at sure. the same school. Yeah, yeah. So Sound we get to bounce ideas off of each other all the time. And he is everything that I am not, and sort of I am everything that he is not. And together we like make a really, really great team. Okay. We fill gaps really, really well with each other. Nice. So one of the things that he is that I am not is incredibly well organized. Um, and he like sort of had this great strategy for batching every quarter as like a really tight thematic unit. So... First quarter every year for every grade is rhythm. So at kindergarten, that is steady beat. Does it have a beat or does it have no beat? And then towards the end of it is how many sounds are on the beat. So rather than really writing notes at five years old, it's a, like a birthday cake. And this birthday cake has one candle and this birthday cake has two candles. And does in this song, is there you know one candle, one candle, two candles, one candle? Let's clap that. Okay. Ta, ta, ti, ti, ta. And they kind of they learn how the the notation, their their shapes, their 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 symbols match what they're listening to. Okay. So there's literacy all the way all the way down to kindergarten. Hmm. Okay. And then there's also you know, games and there's there is playing, but it's always like within a connection to that unit that we're working on. Okay. But you so okay so you feel like you'd have the same issues like. Uh, corralling a class or like getting them to pay attention or like getting them to focus on something and say like uh, like an English teacher mm. uh, it, it well no it's the, the issues are different but mm -hmm. that's I think a systemic problem more than a subject matter problem um, and the reason I say that is in Chicago public schools really the only grades that matter are math and reading okay right so, and really only in a certain number of grade levels. So you, as a five-year-old Jared, right. could go to kindergarten and just kick your desk all day long. And that could be what you do, and you'll go to first grade. And then you could do that again all through first grade, and just kick your desk and throw paper. And then you could go on to second grade. But by third grade, if you don't get a high enough score on reading and on math, both on your report card and on these standardized tests, then you mm -hmm. get held back. Got it. At some discretion. Right. But, like, really, there's... At third grade. And then it happens again at sixth, and again at eighth. And then high school is a little bit of a different animal because you need credits, right? Okay. But as long as you have birthdays, you can get through 
to high school. Does that make sense? Because you can only yeah. get held back once. Yeah. So even if you are perfectly intelligent and capable of learning, all the wiring is working, everything's great, and you just decide I'm not going to do anything productive with my seven hours in school, as long as you get a 16th birthday card, you'll go to high school and you'll get an eighth grade graduation. <laughs> Which is strange, yeah. but also, like, there's no reason to have 16-year-old kids in an elementary school. Sure. Right? Because well, at, at some point, there is, like, there's gotta be a, a point of a diminishing cutoff, right? retirement. Exactly. Right? We're, we're, you're not doing anything. This is not happening, right? Sure. So, uh, the system is interesting. Um, but, like, a lot of the families obviously know this because it's the way the system works, and a kid as young as third grade will be like, I don't have to learn music. As long as I do well in reading and math, I'll be okay. And that's an outlook that some students have. Really? Yeah. That young? Yeah, it's really, really s- s- scary. Like, fuck this music shit. Yeah. I'm not going to be a musician. I don't need to learn this. Huh. Or I don't like this. Or I don't like you. I'm not going to learn this. Hmm. And there's no, other than like my classroom management strategies or systems that I have in place, there's nothing I can really do about it. Other than try to engage that kid and get them to sure. bring in. Yeah, I've run into that with a couple of my... Because, uh, like, well, I'm, so I'm teaching dance. Mm-hmm. And um, I've run into, like, a couple of kids that, you know, they've gotten permission to sit out. And I guess dance is a little easier for, for boys to get out of because there's that whole, like, underlying... It's like, hard, yeah. There's a lot of vulnerability there. Yeah. It's like, you know, I want to dance, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Which... But there's just like the adolescent insecurity thing, and you have to have so much confidence to, to do that out loud because everyone can see it, right? It's not like it's not like English where it's all on a piece of paper, and that's where I think where music is a little similar, mm-hmm. where at least like performing music, maybe not like the academic side, right, right, but it's not on a worksheet, right? So if you fuck it up, everybody knows, right? And as a twelve-year-old kid, is that like your middle school age students? Yeah, maybe a little younger. Sure. They're so concerned about their friends and their and peer pressure, and that's their major focus, right? And that's normal for brain development. They're supposed to find their tribe at that time or look for it. So yeah. par- their friends are more important than their parents, and if they screw up, that's out loud and everybody can see it. Yeah, but it's kind of like, uh, like the, specifically the difference, I think, we're just talking about like dance and music, mm. is, is that I know these kids are dancing outside of here. Oh, uh, yeah. So it's like, what, what what is the difference here? You know what I'm That's saying? Like, you, you have this personality. They know you dance outside <clears throat> of dance class. Right. But the fact that it's a class and the fact that it's, like, choreography, like, it mm-hmm. hits some, like, triggers with you in some kind of way. Yeah. Or the fact that we're, like, stretching before a class mm-hmm. or something like that. Like, there's something weird about it. I assume in the same way that it could be that, like, like even if you have a kid that's interested in music, right? Like, they come in, like... Like, I want to play Smells Like Teen Spirit. Right. But you're like, you We're need to learn Aaron this Allegro. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, they're like, but I don't want to play this. I want to play this. And it's like, I get you. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to learn this to get to that first. That's right. So. Yeah, and how do, you, how do you sell that to a kid? That's hard. Exactly. That's hard. It's super hard. Especially when the stuff that they're interested in is so much more interesting than the stuff that you're doing. At least in my case. Because, yeah. at, at, you know... At the student level, a lot of the music is, it's attainable for them. So it's a little watered down, a little simple. Um, so it's not as cool as Smells Like Teen Spirit, is, is the example, right? Or, or whatever dancing that they're doing. Or even playing rock band at home. That's right. 
Because, like, I mean, the, 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 the huge appeal there is really just the fact that you're familiar with the music, right? Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with, like, School of Rock? Yeah. Is that where their thing is? So, um, am I wrong, in, am I wrong in, in, in assuming that their teaching thing is, like, we teach you easy ways to play shit that you want to know how to play, and then we build up from there? Well... Or do they do the same thing that you kind of do? They, they have, like, uh, it's more of, like, a, you get, like, put in a band. Okay. In my understanding, anyway. You get put in a band, and these are the songs that we're learning. Okay. So you learn these songs. So it's it's through performance. I don't know how or when the like the musical concepts or the theory stuff gets sort of peppered in, mm-hmm. but it's these are the songs that we are learning as a band. So it's about us working together as this, and there's a facilitator that says, learn this, learn that, learn that, and then we'll come together and we'll experiment with that together. Okay. And that's not like a... That's not like a horrible way. Of oh, learning. it's a great way. I think it's it's because it's community based, right? Sure. And um, everyone is responsible to everyone else. Um, one of the differences with a program like that is everyone goes to it, right? I got you. So they already come with an initial interest in, mm-hmm. rather than like you or me going to a classroom or them coming into our space, right? Because that's when the teacher gets their planning period, rather than this is what they want to do. Okay. Does that make sense? I think so. So, um, one of the big things with elementary music teachers is, like, when kids go to music class, the classroom teacher has a planning period. Okay. Right? So, in certain schools, um, in some of the schools that I've taught in, it's not, you're going to go to your music class, it's, this is our prep today. And prep meaning preparation period. Mm -hmm. So, the teacher refers to music class as, not music class, but my prep. And tells the kids, this is my prep, you're going to go here while I, while I do this. Oh, okay. So the, the, the focus is really twisted in that Right. Way, it right? seems almost like a, like a study hall with instruments. That's right. Got that's it. right. And that's how it's treated in a lot of schools. And that's how some teachers, I'm sure, treat it also. Like, you're just here for the hour, mm-hmm. and then you're gone, and then the next group comes in. And then, I'm sorry, I'm watching. <laughs> Are you really? No, I mean, I'm sort of... Do I turn it off, Dan? Yeah, I do want to turn it off. Come it's, on. It is... The faces are nice on there. Like the expressions, Christopher Walken was just doing the whole thing. See? You probably yeah. heard his voice in your head, didn't you? I did. Thank you. No, it's fine. Thank you. Um, I forgot what I was talking about now. Yeah, me too. That's right. Oh, uh, music class as like a, a, as a break. Prep. Right, prep period. So the, the classroom teacher is like the mama bear, right, of that mm-hmm. classroom. Like especially like in the younger grades, because sure. that's where they are all day. That's the grown up in charge of them all day. That's this is my teacher, right? Mm-hmm. To a seven year old kid, that's right. my teacher, my hero, my teacher. I get it. And if that hero, that leader, is telling them that this time is my break time, that's their first impression of that time, right? And that mm-hmm. sets the anchor for how they're going to interact with the next sixty minutes. Whereas if it's like you're going to have your music class time today, this is where we're going to go, you're going to go here and this is your music teacher and you're going to work on this. It's child-centric and it's about their activity and their learning. Right. It changes the whole perception. Mm-hmm. And as, as one of those teachers, right, those, those ancillary or specialists or whatever you want to call it, as mm-hmm. one of those teachers that gets a sort of rotating crop of students every single hour and most of them only come once a week, you kind of notice that every year, teacher A, their kids come in, and a culture of respect is already sort of established, and we have these great successful lessons. And I don't have to remind them about things, and they just, they're doing school successfully. 
um, with very little extra stuff from me. I can just say, this is what we're doing, and they go for it. Um, teacher B might come in, and they have a lot of that on lockdown with that teacher, mm-hmm. but it just goes out the window when they're with me. Right. Because that teacher's teaching style is just very different than mine, mm-hmm. or that teacher, and this is more often the case in my experience, is super-duper-duper strict with, this is the way I want to do it, this is the way I do it, this is the way it's done in this room, and then when they go everywhere else, there's like this need to, to like, exactly, sure. just just expand and relax a mm-hmm. little bit, because it's just very rigid, yep. which is, there's a lot of arguments that that's a good way to teach, right? There's the whole, like, like the violin string theory, where like, you have to train it and get it real tight, mm-hmm. And really, really precise before you can start playing on it. Otherwise, no matter what you do, it's going to be wrong. Okay. Right. Sure. So you, you train it first, and then you can be free to 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 make music out of it, make something beautiful out of it. Okay. Which is, I mean, it makes sense, right? But it, it's not successful typically for me. Is that, that like jazz? Like it's an argument for like it. People listen to jazz, and they're like, it's just a lot of guys playing really fast, random shit. Mm-hmm. But jazz players are often like the most like like well versed in theory right cuz you have to make time you have to make all shit. those decisions sure like in the moment and depending on how fast you're playing you mm-hmm. have to know how to prepare the audience to hear one thing and then take that twist that's going to make sense with what everyone else is doing right. within the context it's of like the playing team. baseball with a bunch of catchers uh you could say it that way i guess you could i don't know i don't get it but i'm going to let i'm Really? Because, like, catchers, I hear that catchers have to be, like, the most, uh, like, catchers are, like, the most educated on the field, right? Oh, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Not a bunch of people in the catcher's position. Right. But a bunch of catchers on the field who are seeing all the angles. Sure, sure, sure. I see what you're saying. Yes. Absolutely. Because if you're, if you and I and two other guys are playing whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, Blue Train or whatever tune, right? And you're playing the first instrument, we all play the head, and then we get into the solo section. Unless we say in advance, I'm going to go first, and you're going to go second, and you're going to go third, we have to communicate that all, either with our faces or with what we play, mm. that I'm at the end of my idea strain here, and I'm going to play an ending that sounds like an ending sure. that still fits within the context of the thing. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to come in and play your spirit and your your character and have that that conversation that you're leading that we're all kind of we're not just playing quarter notes underneath you, right? We're all interacting with what you're doing and right. accenting it and responding to your thoughts, but all within this framework. Sure. It is It is a lot of thinking. And, like, you hear guys who have, like, made major changes, right? Like, all the bebop stuff, and mm-hmm. Coltrane is the one that's popping in my mind. Like, it's, it is fast, and you could listen to it and be like, this doesn't make any sense. But when you, like, dive in and, and zoom in on it, it's, like, it's very poetic. Yeah. The way that he'll outline the harmony of this chord and then pass to that next one in this way that no one had thought to do previously, right? Mm-hmm. And now everyone still, 60 years later, is trying to do it, learn how to do it that way. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it reminds me of this story that Ra- Rakim tells, uh, where, like, when, like, if you look at his raps on paper, mm. like, apparently, like, all the words that rhyme can, like, line up. And, like, like that's, that's a cool way to like, do it. That's how he, like, got down his, like, A, B, yeah. B, B, C, whatever, mm-hmm. like, like, rhyme pattern or whatever. That's a neat, and it's, I'm sure it looks beautiful to look at, too. Yeah, sure. But, I'm assuming you mean, like, in different spots of the, of the phrase, of the lyrical phrase. Sometimes, yeah. 
but I think he just he just he does like a bar alive mm-hmm. or something, and then like everything will just like a lot of times it will just line up at the end of it or something. Hmm. I don't know. That's interesting. He explained it, but he he didn't provide like visual aids. It was one of those things you kind of have to just believe. Like Jay Z never writes rhymes, yeah. something like that. That was awesome. Like at the ending of that whole day. Yeah. He just said, "Let's play this one. Play me another we one." Just play, yeah. We just played that slot. Skip it. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not gonna remember that one. Let's do another. One. I thought that was yeah. fucking great. And then he's like, uh, "I'm just gonna leave now." <laughs> that was play, fucking amazing. Play on. Yeah, that yeah. was great. We're talking about the uh, the 444 concert that was last month at the United Center. It was great. In that big space with all those people, I got to hug Jared. <laughs> yeah. That was great. That's amazing. Yeah. You and Amanda. Yep. You guys are awesome. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's a big evolution in your and my relationship for yeah. over the past, like, 10 years at least, mm-hmm. where... Um, so the, the beginning was you had a girlfriend and I had this girlfriend and they knew each other. Yes. And one random day at the corner of Irving and Damon. Yes. I don't know if you remember this day or not, but yes. I do vividly. Amanda and your girlfriend saw each other and we, you and I stood there while they had a whole long conversation. Yeah. And there was like, a, oh, great. Hey, you know, this is Jared. Oh, this is Dan. And it was like what up? this total polite handshake, maybe even, yep. maybe. I'm like just waiting for them to finish. Like we'll probably never see each other, and I'm. This is how I was feeling. I'm, sure, sure, I'm sure, sure it was very similar for you because you and I seem to think similarly about different things. Yeah. Um. It's like okay, get it out of the way, and then we'll move on with the rest of our day. I'm not investing in him. He's not investing in me, and that's fine. We're gonna move on. And then like, there was other reasons for us to get in the same room with each other. And then like, for whatever reason, I don't know, man. I love seeing you every time. Yeah. Do you make me smile a lot? I'm a big fan. I feel like I. I feel like Amanda gave me a cell phone, and I think that, I think you guys had, like, maybe just started dating, or you you guys had been dating for a while or something. You had, like, a silver pickup truck. I had a, a gray one, yeah. Yeah, a gray, a gray pickup truck. I remember that, too. I don't know why. I just remember you being I love that truck. I named truck. it Princess. Hilarious. That was my girl. And then yeah. I had babies, and she's gone now. Now I got a minivan. Oh, <laughs> minivan mafia! I did. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and I was I was at you guys' wedding. Mm-hmm. And that was great. That was great because you walked around the whole time, telling everyone I'm just the token black guy here. <sighs> That's what I'm doing, serving my purpose, which was hilarious and made a lot of my aunts uncomfortable. And I thought that was fucking great. So well, yeah, because I I don't know I don't what I not that more, you were the black guy there, but that you were saying it, I'm the black guy here. Yes, because people might like people don't know how to re- react to. Well, that. I didn't want anybody else to say it. If anybody was gonna say, <laughs> it, I wouldn't be the first one to say it, and like let everybody know, like, hey, yeah, I'm cool with mm-hmm. it, and that like I know, and I'm not that. You know what I'm saying? Well, so, and like, your your fashion at that time at least was pretty loud. I right? did have on I did have on sunglasses, but like white ones. Like bright mirrored. We, yeah, as I'm saying, yeah. like it's you, like, you know what I mean? Like you don't go for the great Gap T-shirt. At least at that time, that was not Jared, right? No. It, you, big bright colors and big bright personality, and that's awesome. But it's not sort of the norm, you know, for that's a lot okay. of a lot of. I don't feel like you guys are the norm, though. Well, once you get deep enough, nobody. Like, wasn't wasn't Amanda breakdancing? Mm, yeah, she How did that at her wedding. That's Come true. On. That's true. Well, she, she's interesting, right? She 
does interesting shit. She did that trapeze thing for a while. I and like just that. decided to learn how to fly on the trapeze, and that's great. Uh, what else is she doing lately? That's interesting. Tell me. Hmm. Is she doing like weird mom stuff? No, she's doing pretty regular mom stuff. But she does it in a really like fearless way. Okay. Where she's like, oh my, you know, our, our oldest son Calvin was just born, and he had there's this blanket that was furry, and it's like, oh Calvin's into texture stuff. That's great. I'm just gonna go ahead and fold and sew a little booklet of textures for him. So okay. she just like went and found some fabric scraps of like this is furry and this is vinyl and this is like fake basketball and this is something else and just put this little ring booklet together for my son just to grab and feel different things like that's cool yeah she looks at our kitchen and she's like we need curtains but i don't know what to do and i can't find what i like so i'm just gonna get some burlap and i'll paint something on them i'll paint a stripe and that'll be good and it looks beautiful she's so fearless when it comes to that and she's so like she's always really successful when she like takes those chances okay you know that's cool Mm mm-hmm I, I don't know. I really respect that about her. And, I mean, I'm a little more fearful to take first steps into things, mm-hmm. but only because I know that one step will never be enough for sure. me. So when she can convince me to take that first step, like, I take the second and third and 58th. Sure. In usually on, on, on irregular ways, I suppose. And everything just turns out really fun for us. We get really lucky with, with a lot of that. Yeah, I, uh, it's funny that you, like, bring up, like, the first time we met, because it seems like that is the only time it was like that. Oh, sure. Because, like, I feel like, did we, did we help you guys move out of a house or into a house? I don't remember. Where, when did Probably I get both, the, right? I, I mean, the inversion table. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, yeah, weird. that was pretty early on in our, in our hang. That's true. Yeah. Oh, I know. I know this day vividly. So this was when I don't think we were mo- we weren't moving. We were just like purging. I think at that point. Okay. And uh, you were over for some party. I don't know what it was. And we were in the basement playing ping pong or talking or just doing whatever. And this was there. And you're like, I remember your reaction. What? What? <laughs> Batman, Vicky Vale. And I was just like, holy <laughs> shit, that's it. That's exactly what I thought the first Hilarious. time I looked at okay. it. And I think that Vicky Vale bond was like the moment for me. I had forgotten about it until just now, where I was like, "All right, Jared's Jared's in, he's he's in the in the coop now." Okay, he's in my bullpen. This is people I need to know and continue to know. The weird thing about you, Dan, is like you like you say things like everything you say, you say it like very like. Like even if, I feel like even if you said I have no idea what I'm doing here, you would say it very like matter of factly and very sure footedly. I agree with that. So, like, the way you say I'm a drummer, mm-hmm. like, I'm just like, uh, it's like, okay, he's like, he's like this, like, uh, he plays like a three-piece drum set, very, like, put together and very, and, like, that's not really you at all, kind of. Like, you're, you're kind of, you've got these, like, different layers, but they're very thick. Okay. If that makes any sense. I'm hearing you. But it's a lot of them. That's true. But it's like, they're very like, they're like stone, kind of. I, I don't know. Like, like you are a married man. Mm-hmm. You love being married. I do. You're into it. Yeah. I don't take you as a happy wife, happy life guy, though. <laughs> I have a different version of that. 
Really? What is yeah, it? Yeah, which is, uh, I don't want to deal with where this will go. So I'll, I'll uh, compromise. Does that make sense? Sure. It's not happy wife, happy life, like I'll do whatever my wife needs. I want to do things that she likes, and I mm-hmm. want to do nice things for her. But when we do disagree, I will usually cave, but not because I uh, want to keep her happy. It's because I don't want to make myself uncomfortable. Okay. And the the conversation that happens in my head before I start saying it out loud mm-hmm. goes down seven different ways, and all of them are or wrong. Or they bad. take too long, or they're whatever. They're not good, right? They're less desirable than me being like, eh, okay, fine. I'll just do it like this. Okay. Does that make sense? Sure. So I, I do that a lot. Okay. And I'm like, I go this way, go this way, and I'll even start saying something, and then be like, let me rephrase. And then like go to option nine, which is, tell me again where you put this thing. <laughs> okay. As opposed to, where the fuck is my fucking spatula? Right. Or whatever. Like, don't start with that, I learned. Sure, sure, sure. You know? But, uh, yeah. But, I, yeah, I am, I am a drummer, and my drum set is small. But again, because I don't like carrying shit okay. from the car to the club. So, like, it got real small over the years, like, to two trips. Sometimes okay. one trip. But that's my motivation. And, like, it's also fun sometimes to, to explore on, like, fewer sound sources. Sure. And make more sounds out of those fewer options, you know. But, yeah, I do, I do say things like that. Yeah. It can be intimidating. I hear that. Like you've sometimes. got, you've got like a little like uh, like an asshole streak. Yes, my, I, 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 uh, or I hope like, I don't come across. Or maybe like an maybe asshole. not. Maybe a little okay, smartass more. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, they're they're one and the same. With yeah. Me. It's just like you know, smart aleck is what they used to call it mm-hmm. back when I was younger. But like, uh, yeah. But I hope it's never in like a fuck you type way. I hope it's not. No, it's in like a, it's in like a, the beer's over there. And I'm just I'm st- I'm still doing what I'm doing. Yeah. And it's like he said over there, and I don't want to go back. <laughs> so I'm just gonna look into everything that yeah. got beer over here. Uh, yeah, I kind of I, I think I do do that. I think I do do that, and I think it's becoming more and more conscious. Yeah, because I think I, I entertain myself that way sometimes, <laughs> not think, at anyone else's expense, no. like to be like fuck those people, but at a like, how can I solve whatever problem in as like little effort as possible. Sure. So like if I know like that little stupid suitcase that you that you got for me at the last uh mm-hmm. the last thing is in there is in that corner. I can stand up and if I want to borrow that thing, I'd be like, it's in the corner over there, I gotta go. And then like let you be like, what the fuck is he talking about? And then like know that you'll see it. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. I do I do have conversations like that a lot. Sure. And my wife hates it. I love that line from uh, Pulp Fiction, when the wolf comes, and he's in the kitchen yeah. talking to John Travolta, and he's like, I need a please, and it's like, listen, man, like, if I'm Kurt, it's because I know time is of the essence, mm-hmm. like, I, I don't have time for this. That's great. Like, but that's like, that's something that I'm sure, like, you get the feeling, like, being in a band, but it's like, when you're working with, like, competent people mm-hmm. like all all people at a certain level that you can trust yeah like you don't nobody says please and thank you you don't need to this is a waste of time that that's right this is what we're doing we're starting from here result. yeah yeah, yeah sure. we don't have to build all that up we're starting from here and we're moving forward that's a really that's a great observation of me yeah I, I absolutely mean. am that way to a problematic degree sure in a lot of relationships um with my own family too where my, my wife coined the term doomsday Dan because there's this great thing that's happening. We got this new house. 
We walk in, and this is the house that I'm in now. Mm -hmm. We walk in, okay, all this amazing possibility. And rather than having the conversation of, oh, this could be that, and this could be this, and this could, this could, this could, oh, what a wonderful thing. I'm always like, all right, I have to start by fixing that, and then fix that, and then fix that. That's fucking broken. And, like, I... I start past all of the, sure. the padding and get right to the what you to the work. Do. Yeah, yeah, that's true, and that's that's not great for teaching kids sometimes. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I had a girlfriend like that, and it, it can be hard, right? For sure. I, and I, I I understand that. That was my New Year's resolution last year, was to start conversations from the like, let me bring you to where I am. Sure. Before just starting from where I am, because right, it's super right. selfish. Like, I mean... I hear you. It can be, right? Yeah, 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 To the other person, anyway. Especially if they're, like... If they're, like, in love with something, and then you kind of come in with, like... I mean, this dog has fleas, bro. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, problem, 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 problem. Right, right. All easy problems to fix, but just listing them, sure. right? It's super... Sure. I learned that there's this this whole, like, thinking style, and, like, this is, like, a big, like, um, problem-solving strategy thing where there's, like, different hats. There's these six different colored hats. It's called six-hat thinking, and, like... The blue hat means this is all the endless possibilities. Uh, the green hat means this is something that we have to build. I can't remember like the actual details. <laughs> but this hat means I'm thinking this way. This hat means I'm thinking this way. And the one that I wear all the time is the black hat, which is like these are all the barriers that we have to overcome in order to successfully okay. implement this project or this, whatever the thing is. So people who use this strategy in big business meetings or in strategy sessions or in brainstorming sessions are like, all right, let's let's go green hat and blah 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 blah, and they'll call it out okay. to get everyone in the same lane. Sure, sure, you know sure, what I mean? Sure. Um, but not everybody knows about that. Or if you have six people, you can give everybody that's a right. hat. That's but right. If you're in a two-person relationship and you're only wearing one hat, and you don't even tell the other person there's a hats involved. Sure. Right. Sure, you. Sure. I yeah, get it. it's hard to deal with. I can imagine. I get it. And I've heard about it many, many times. But I'm working on it. Yeah, of course. That's um. I'm like a. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I like to uh, I like to build the plane while I'm flying it. Mm-hmm. It's exciting. Yeah. Kind of thing. That's super exciting. Yeah. It's hard to teach that way. But there has to be an element yeah. of that for the lessons to be uh, authentic. Yeah, for sure. Because, like, um, like, with the dance thing, right? Like, some classes, um, they can kind of, I, I really just have to steer the ship. And, like, they're, like, coming up with moves. And, like, you know, yeah. they do, like, some popular move that everybody's doing now. And I got to explain to them what, like, biting is. And, like, you know, come on, like, you know. it yeah. wasn't cool when I was a kid. It wasn't cool to do the move that everybody else is doing. Right. Maybe you should come up with something different. Right, right, right. Okay, what about this? Cool, cool, cool. Like, yeah, that's yeah. better. Let's do that for eight counts. Oh, you're doing it too long. Let's switch it up like this. Mm-hmm. Whereas there's other classes where, like, I have to, like, listen to music before I get there. I have to come in with a plan yep. to give them, mm-hmm. and uh, and that works easier. And it's you have to know how to do all of it, right? Because every sure. every group of humans has a different chemistry and like a different different workability level or whatever. Absolutely. So, the, but that first version is like that's the sweet spot, right? Where like the teacher just designs like the stadium and the kids just play in it. Yeah, and you just say, no, nope, that's out of bounds. Try this one. Yeah. And let them just go. That's sure. masterful teaching. Yeah, but there, I mean... But then everyone's ready for that. Yeah. Because, like, I worked with this, this seventh grade group, and it was much more about, like, that uh, that violin thing you were talking about earlier. Like, mm. these were kids that I could kind of... Like, I spent the majority of that class sitting down, kind of just giving notes and kind of, like, giving, you know, like, 
critique and pointers. Like, yeah. Let's do it again. Try it like this. But you can only do that with, again, that's kind of like that school of rock. Like everybody came here for a reason, so mm-hmm. that they, they look at the time different. That's right. And yeah. like you have to constantly just be like looking at the number over everyone's head of like this is how connected I am to what we're talking about right sure. now. And that just goes down and down and down, or they get farther and farther away. Yeah. Every second. So you, like, that's. I think that's the hardest part about teaching is you have to be able to read that from the kids and then know what to do when it's like, you remember that old video game uh, bartender or something like that where like they're throwing, what the hell is it called? The video game was actually like a, was it a beer tapper? Anyway, there was like shit that was like, this is a better metaphor, where like the zombies are coming at you, right? And the zombies are getting closer and you can see there's nine zombies but these two are closer. Sure. So I have to push them back. Right, right. And then these ones are still coming so I gotta make sure I get them before I go over here. Sure, sure, sure. That's the opposite version of teaching where they're just going farther and farther away sometimes and you have to do something to pull them back in. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Otherwise you lose them and they're gone for the rest of that time that you're together. And to your point earlier, I've had some, you know, I've been in these schools probably like two, three months now. Mm Mm-hmm. I had a teacher come to me and say, okay, look, you know what kids you have to sit down every day. Yeah. Just sit them down in the beginning. Right. And just work with the kids that are going to pay attention. That kind of fucked me up. Yeah. I was like, this kid is in kindergarten, maybe first grade, and from what you're saying, I mean, if I'm putting him to the side and play dance class then he's definitely getting put aside in, like, real classes. Like, mm-hmm. if he can't pay attention to dance, he definitely can't pay attention to fucking social studies. Okay. Or whatever they're taking at that age. Mm-hmm. So he's going to get put to the side till third grade. Yep. And then they're going to, he's probably going to get held back or something. Mm-hmm. And then he's going to get put aside because he's a held back kid. So if he's not showing, if he didn't show the enthusiasm in the past the first place, he's not going to show the enthusiasm in the past after he's been essentially ostracized. Right. Because now he's the old kid in the young class. Mm-hmm. And that's going to fuck with his head, probably. Sure. So then he's going to get passed, and he's going to get passed. And then, like, now yep. you've got this kid. Who has this relationship with school. This yeah. damaged relationship with school. And then it's not just school at that point, too, right? It's like authority. It's everybody else, Then right? it comes into life. It's them and versus me. Police shit. Everybody. And then, yeah. Yeah. That's right. And that's right. And it's, it's hugely problematic. Mm-hmm. So this is a kid that you're describing that doesn't have the tools yet to be in a room with other, with everybody else doing a physical thing, a movement-based activity, and stay focused sure. for whatever reason. Right. Um, a lot of times for those kids, it's easier when you're in the desk. So I would argue maybe it does, he doesn't get put aside in social studies. Mm-hmm. He doesn't get sat out because he's in his desk. And that, for a lot of people, is like, I'm grounded here. I can just sit here and wait for an hour. That's no big deal. Okay. Even even little kids. Okay. They learn that skill real, real early. Sure. Which I think is a huge problem. But still, yeah, because he's still not, he's not, not doing anything. Yeah. He's just, he, he might be here, but he's out. not there in his head, right? right? So, um, still a damaged relationship with school, damaged relationship with everybody else. Like, um, But that doesn't, doesn't help to solve his problem. Sitting him out isn't going to do anything for him. But the other side of that coin is, like, if you can teach... 22 kids by removing one like that's a hard argument to go against right absolutely because I have this finite number of energy mm-hmm. units right and if I say I have 10 units and I need to put 8 into this one kid mm-hmm. so that I can keep him quiet for 2 minutes and keep his number 
and keep him this close for two minutes yeah. so I can use those other two energy units to give to these other 24 kids. Mm-hmm. That's terrible economics, right? Especially, especially if you enjoy teaching and you, you notice what some kids get from a little tweak, you know? Yep, or a little, little nudge. A little, hey, that was really good. Let's try Keep the energy up. Mm. Keep doing what you're doing. But let's try it like this. And then they take that note, and it's like right. fucking light switches going on. Yeah. And light bulbs and all that type of right. shit. But you can't... You can't give it because you don't yeah. have enough space. Yeah. And even if you do, they're going to know it's bullshit because they're knowing you're watching mm-hmm. that kid. Be like, yeah, you guys look great. And then everything you say after that is meaningless. Yeah, and then... Because you're no longer a real person. And then it's fragile because... It, so is that how I get his attention? Do I need to, like, fuck off to get his attention? Because I can do that. That's right. Yeah. And then there's the, the those kids who... That's just not in their tool bag to, to ever, like, fuck off in front of a grown-up, right? Mm-hmm. Or to be disrespectful in any way. But you know they have all these great abilities. But they grow up in a classroom with that kid from kindergarten and first grade and second grade and third grade. Mm-hmm. So by fourth grade, that kid's interpretation of school is, I go to this building, I sit in my desk, the tall person talks for a little while, and then Joey screws around, and then we wait while the tall person yells at Joey, and I wait, and mm-hmm. then the tall Joey starts crying or whatever happens with Joey, and then the tall person talks a little bit more, and I try to pay attention, and then I do my workbook pages while the teacher yells at Joey again. And like... That's not what learning is, right? Yeah. So you say, what happened at school today? And that kid says, oh, Joey got yelled at, Joey got yelled at. And after a while, nothing happened because they just get in their head and they don't, nothing else, nothing matters anymore. Mm-hmm. Right? Nothing for those seven hours are meaningful. That's really sad because that kid has all this amazing potential. Yeah. They understand, I mean, however you feel about like the public education model, right? Where you sit in the desk and teachers tell you stuff. Mm-hmm. Whether you think that's good or bad, who knows? This is a person who has the tools to accomplish and, and do stuff, right? And be in a room with other people, talk out loud and communicate. That's a kid you can really just push to do absolutely anything. Right. Because as long as you can be in the room with everybody else and keep yourself on task, that's really, really hard to do for anybody. But for a 10-year-old, that's amazing. So if you can give them a task that they care about to go do, that kid can accomplish anything, right? And they learn the tools of doing stuff. Mm-hmm. So as an adult, they know how to do stuff and, like, they can say, hey, I'm going to start a podcast and get all the shit they need to do a podcast in, right. their, in their recording studio, right? But if they never learn how to do stuff because their whole education is waiting for that kid, they're going to just learn to wait. True. That's a learned helplessness, right? And then eventually they're just going to screw around. Learned helplessness. Or they're going to just check out. Yeah. And then all that potential is lost for the whole world. All that stuff that that one kid could have done as an adult is gone. So the stakes are super high. As a teacher, and now a dad, quickly a dad of two, mm-hmm. I, right? Is it fair to say that? Uh, yeah, 18 months apart. Okay, okay. I don't want to be like... <laughs> That's fast for me. Okay, cool, Yeah, cool, cool. it's fast for me. Two under two is no joke, dude. And, like, now uh, my oldest is, like... He'll be three in April, it's so he's Calvin more than two and a half. And Calvin and Bennett. Bennett? Yeah. Nice. So Calvin is the older, and he is coming up on three, and Ben is coming up on I Okay, so I thought, I knew, it was, I knew it was, you, you got, last time I was there, you calling him Ben, and yeah. I just assumed it was like Benjamin. Yeah. But no, it's Bennett. Bennett. Nice. Double N, double T? That's right. Nice. That's right. Very percussive. 
Bennett. <laughs> That's what's up. Yeah. yeah. Um. So right. So like, as a teacher and as a dad, what are you looking? What do you look for in a school? Um. It's it's about the culture of the school, the culture that is like being sort of created within the building. So for me, it's not about class size as much as it is about the way that the kids will interact with one another mm-hmm. and the way that the adults interact with the kids and the way that the kids interact with the adults. It's all about that human element, right? But if you walk into the building and uh, you go in the lunchroom and just this lunch lady's yelling at kids, and that's what lunch is. We sit in there and we get yelled at. That's not a healthy place, okay. right? Um that's almost inevitable that kids are going to screw around in the lunchroom because that's their, like, downtime. But you don't have to be... It never has to be sort of loud and disrespectful, right? And in the classroom, my perfect school would be very, very project-based. This is what we're working on. These are the little mini lessons that we're going to do to get the skills in order to successfully complete the, the project. But it's about, like, design thinking, where there's, like, this is what I have right now, and then interact with the teacher to revise it, and then get back to work and make it better. Mm-hmm. That's what I would love in a school. And then at the at the younger level, before the kids are ready for that, it's it's play based. We're going to interact with this stuff. What do you notice? What do you see? What do you notice? What can we do with that? Okay. But it's about doing stuff rather than learning stuff because mm-hmm. you every experience you have changes how you interact with stuff after that, right? So you gain confidence, or you gain perception, or you gain awareness, um, or you learn that this is something I'm not interested in anymore. Mm-hmm. Whether it's multiplication tables or construction or anything, like you interact with that thing and it changes the way you're going to interact with something similar again. Got it. So I would want the interactions to be positive. Even I would, I would want failure to be celebrated as like a learning tool rather than like a, like a you need to do better at this. It's just like, okay, what did we learn from this? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there's ever a reason to raise your voice with children. Um, and I hate that I find myself doing it sometimes, like when, when it's just at a level where everything is too big and you've exhausted the other options, I do holler once in a while. I raise my voice. I don't ever yell and like embarrass kids or whatever, but like sometimes you just have to be loud for a moment to hear everyone Mm -hmm. to realize, well, we just, we blew it. But, uh, yeah, to, to answer your question. It's, it's about positive interactions. No matter what's going on, there's a positive interaction. And then when there are inevitably going to be problems, discipline-wise or academically or behaviorally for whatever reason, the wraparound services are there and well-established so that if kids need to talk, there is a, a, an experienced counselor's office. If there's someone gets hurt, there's a nurse. If there is... Um, some behavior issues, a kid can talk to that counselor about like what the triggers are and, and work with that or at least get connected if, if effectively with someone who can help them rather than this is the, the bad kid's room. Okay. Right? And if there is, this is the bad kid's room and that's the system, hopefully it's this is like a restorative justice environment right. where those kids are learning tools rather than just wasting time. They're learning coping mechanisms or, or strategies for interacting more positively with everyone else. Okay. The, di- the discipline shouldn't be detention and expulsion or suspension. It should be restorative and, and educational. Because kids are going to screw up, right? That's what we all do. We experiment. We find 
the line, and we find out what happens when we go over the line. Um, but there's reasons for most of those lines to exist. And it's important for young people to learn what those reasons are and how much more successful all of us can be if we are helping each other, okay. right? As opposed to waking up and, and, and wrecking it, you know? Because nobody, no, I, well, I say this sometimes, where like no one wakes up in the morning and says, how can I fuck this up for everybody else? Sure. Right? Everyone thinks that they're doing the right thing for themselves and for their, for their people, whoever their people are. But not everyone realizes how important it is to at least make sure you pay attention to the things that you do, that they don't hurt somebody else. Sure. Or hurt their ability to do something else. Because that takes a lot of critical thinking that young people aren't really ready for. But if you can just get them to realize that what I do leaves like a footprint and it's going to matter later on down the road. Which is hard to teach, but I think it's important. Got it. So yeah, I guess the short answer is learning stuff, interacting doing stuff, building things, and uh, learning how to be in the room with other people successfully. That's important. This, uh, you just got to, or you, you recently are at the school that you're at now. No, I've been there for a while. I've been there 10 years, actually. Oh, shit. Yeah, so this is my third school in CPS. Uh, my first was just north of here, actually, at Sacramento and Harrison. Okay. My second school was in, like, Roscoe Village. Okay. It was at uh, Belmont and Damon. Okay. And then this is now my Is third. that Lane? No, it was called Jan. Oh. Well, you don't have to say the names if you don't want to jump yeah. I was going to say a different school, the Lane School, whatever, it's on Belmont or whatever. Yeah. Um, the issues with schools, or the quote-unquote bad schools, mm. right, um, are they bad because... Chicago public schools have issues? Are they bad because of the areas that they're in? Socioeconomic makeup of the schools? All of that is contributing, I okay. think, right? Um, when you say bad schools, you mean schools that aren't performing well academically? Well, or do you mean schools that aren't healthy environments for kids? Or do you mean... What do you mean by bad school, I guess? I don't know. I mean, dangerous schools? Well, okay, you wouldn't send the kid, your kids to the school you work at, but it's not. Is it dangerous? No, no. It's just like it's a systematic. It's just not exceptional. Yeah, it's it's okay. It's okay. Okay. But okay is not good enough, right? Have you worked in a dangerous school? Um, I mean, I teach elementary school, so dangerous is relative, right? Okay. So, um, my first school, kids were arrested and taken out in handcuffs. But my current school, that happens too. But I guess there was more fights at my first school, mm. like more physical altercations with between students. Um, there was uh, one or two sexual assaults at that school at the time. So I guess it's more dangerous okay. than, than the school I'm in now in that way, I guess. Okay. But there's like, kids are kids, so there's a shitload of bullying and a shitload of all that other stuff. But physical danger... I guess I've never been in a school where, like, you have to, where I felt, where I felt like I was in danger. Okay. Does that make sense? You never felt like you needed, like, a Lou Gossett Jr. <laughs> in your school? Uh, no. Okay. No. Is that there were, I've been in schools where kids, like, tried to intimidate teachers. Okay. But they're, you know, eighth graders. So it's Got like, it. You, you get what that is. You brought up something very interesting. Bullying. Mm. 
Um, are you an only child? No, I have a brother. You have one brother. He's younger. Younger brother. Yes. How much younger? Two years. Okay. Kind of similar to Calvin and Ben. Yeah. Somewhat. Yeah. Um, did your brother beat you up? Did you beat up your brother? No. You guys didn't have like a physical relationship like that? We would like wrestle and stuff, but never okay. like gotta like, you know, give me your lunch money. Or no, of course not. Sense. But yeah. So, um, yeah, there balls? was never. You guys bust balls? Yeah, but only in like a, in a silly way. Okay. Yeah, in a silly way. We what rarely is, get angry with one another. What is the difference between busting balls and bullying? Uh, well, so the the textbook example is, is uh, there's a like a, a power disparity. Okay. And then it's repeated and intentional. So bullying like is a punching down type of thing. Exactly. Okay. Where um, the whatever for whatever reason, the person on top has more social capital than the person on the bottom, okay. right? Whether it's uh, they are. Uh, have more money, or they're of a certain um, popularity level, mm-hmm. or they are older, whatever. They're, our society has given them more social capital, okay. right? Or their little social circle has given them a little bit, something higher, an advantage of some sort. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are repeatedly and sort of purposely doing something that puts the person beneath them even lower. So it's, it's probably a little more easier to spot than I'm giving it credit for? No, it's hard. It's okay. hard because, like, the, all that so, a lot of that social capital stuff is invisible, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, sometimes, if you're looking, thinking about kids, like, this person's popular and that person's not popular, right? You can't see that. You can see how people treat each other and think you see what the real, what's really going on, mm-hmm. but you don't. And even if, even if you think you have a good handle on it, that's only in this particular environment that you are watching them, right? That you're right. observing them. It could be totally different outside. It could be. Okay. So it is hard to see. And now, like, with, like, all this internet and social media stuff, it's, it's, it's impossible to, to keep track of. Right. Do you, do, do you consider yourself a millennial, Dan? I think I'm, like, the first wave. Okay. I do. I think I'm, like, in the, like, when the, like, when it started... Coming up, right before I started like curling over, mm-hmm. I feel like that's where I am in my age bracket. Do you? Does some of that stuff like make you cringe? Hmm. Like some like uh, like I don't know. Have 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 you been presented with a bullying situation where you were kind of like, mm, I think this kid kind of just needs to suck it up. Uh, sometimes yeah. Or as a teacher, as a teacher, now in twenty eighteen, mm. is suck it up like some cisgendered, toxic masculinity type shit. That's a big wide line. There okay. was a lot of gray area in between, I think. Okay. Where, and it, it, it always depends on the person. So, like, if, sometimes you can, you a kid, they throw the, the word bullying around all the time. Right? Mm-hmm. You're, he's bullying. Right. And it's like, well, he's not bullying you. You tried to take his thing, and he said, you're taking my thing, and he took it back from you. That's not bullying. Okay. Right? Because that word really gets overused because there's sure. this big movement in school to, like, we don't stand for bullying, mm-hmm. bully-free zone. So anyth- anytime someone wrongs someone else, a kid tries to, will, will try to interpret that as bullying, right? Kids are using that now, too. Yeah. You, 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 you have observed kids, like, jumping on the bullying thing when it's like... When they're tattling. I don't know about when they're, like, talking okay. yeah, to yeah, each yeah, other. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but when like, they talk to it's us. It's coming from That's kids. the term that they use. Yeah, because we, we burn it into them. Okay. Systematically, sure, right? Sure, sure. This is like at our school we have this whole big bullying meeting once a week. Every every classroom with the kids. Every classroom has their their bullying meeting. They're like uh so there's this program that we we like use uh-huh. 
and it's all about anti-bullying, and this is what we're supposed to do, and, you know, bystanders versus upstanders. We're like, if there's bullying going on and everyone's watching, you're part of the problem. So teaching kids to become part of the solution and get involved, right? Which, broad strokes, that makes great sense, right? Yeah. But it's hard. But it is. So the kids, they use the word, is, is I guess the short version. Um, but some kids put themselves in those situations on purpose to get attention. Sure. Right? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. everybody needs that. That's important to get that attention. Mm-hmm. And you learn really early on that this is this type of thing gets attention from people. So some people take advantage of that situation. Um, which is kind of sad yeah. that they're not getting what they need. But, sure. you know, you can see them trying. Mm-hmm. And then it's hard to discern whether it's like cry for help type stuff or just narcissistic stuff. Sure. So... Suck it up is, like, you're not really supposed to say that to a kid, obviously. Definitely can't say man up anymore. No. That is. Well, on a, on a bunch of different levels, right? I guess. Because there's, like, there's like gender oh, roles, yeah. that, you know, attached <laughs> to that as well. Um, Triple entendre. Right? It's, yeah. It's the goocher right there. I don't know what the right way to do that is, but every kid, you got to read it, right? Because they're people and we're people and yeah. you have to be able to read people. And hopefully give them what they need. Or at least give them, point at, point at the trail of breadcrumbs that they can go get it on their own. Sure. Ideally. You've got two sons. How, how do you think you're going to approach, like, dating conversation? <laughs> I hope I'm a long time away from that. I have no idea. Um, or like, or not, not even dating, just like, you know. If, if, if one of your boys is in preschool... Mm he kisses a girl on the cheek that could cause a lot of problems for the kids yeah like maybe I'm thinking of these like this is us like NBC Mm. family you know ABC family like where like their their objective is to like place these kind of topics into lives or you know make these kind of things topical okay so it could be slightly sensationalized but like, I have heard these stories of, like, real schools, like, you know, teachers are outraged because they're putting a third bathroom in. Or, you know, okay, some, some first grader now identifies as a girl. Like, these, like, really, like, I guess what we would consider very adult topics mm. being taken very seriously on, like, a kid level. Okay. So... How do I interact with my own kids that way, my own children, or with students with those types of issues? I don't know. Either one. Um, how, so, how differently do you treat your your students than your kids? Uh, obviously, there's like... Different enough, obviously. But yeah, you want them to be better people, right? So mm-hmm. you, you're, there's the same, the same sort of, I want to help you improve, right. hat gets worn. Right, 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 for sure. Um, but like... If you can, uh, there's a lot in in this question. So, forgetting about, like, the dating thing. Sure. I guess, like, so thinking about the, like, just being comfortable in a room Mm -hmm. thing. That's at the essence, right? I'm identifying in this way, or there's a third bathroom thing, right? Sure. So, if a 10-year-old says, I, my, my birth name is, you know, Sarah, but I want you to start calling me Joe, 
Um, I self-identify as a boy. I think of myself this way. I want you to call me this. Mm-hmm. I don't have a problem. If I can read that situation as this this being genuine, I don't have a problem saying, okay, Joe, this is what I'm going to do. Um, and I think this is what you need to work on in your spelling. And just moving past that. Sure, okay. Does that make sense? Sure. If you want to talk more about it, we can talk more. But I'm your teacher, and this is what we're working on. If you want me to call you Joe, that's great. Let's move on. Okay. Right? This is our professional relationship. I am a safe space for you. Got it. Right? And let that be the end unless they want to talk more. Okay. Um, the whole, like, bathroom thing, who cares? Honestly, where people go to the bathroom. Okay. Right? That's how I feel about it. Um, I think that gets made into too much of a big deal. There's an awesome South Park about that. I don't know if you saw it. Okay. Where, like, Cartman starts identifying as a woman because he wants to use the woman's bathroom because it's nicer. No. To, do, to do number two at school, he wants to go in there instead. That's so true, though. Right. That's so true. Yeah. So then more kids get on his bandwagon. He gets really offended that they're trying to use his bathroom. Mm. It's pretty funny. Mm. Uh, South Park is fucking great. I'm way behind on South Park. It's it's good lately. Yeah? It's real good. Um, but yeah, anyway, if you can make someone feel comfortable or you can do something that is meaningless to you to make them feel better and safe... I think that's a, that's a no-brainer. But if you can tell a kid's like, oh, I want you to call me potato, like, uh, just to be a, to be smart-ass about it or to be silly about it or to push the boundary about it, mm-hmm. um, that's not appropriate, right? Because this is that person taking advantage of someone else who, for whatever reason, feels unsafe in their own skin or unhappy in their own skin. So my strategy that I've outlined in my brain, I've never had to do it yet, but is pull that person aside and be like, listen, you're lucky enough that you are comfortable being Jared. Mm-hmm. This person doesn't understand what they're supposed to be, and they have all of these problems. And if I can do one thing to help that person just feel okay in a room, I'm going to do that. You're lucky enough that you don't need to, you don't need that. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to call you Jared. Because you're doing it for fun, and they're doing it because I believe, I believe that they're doing it for whatever crisis that they're in. Got it. Does that make sense? Sure. That's the way I, I plan to handle it. And, like, there's, like, a whole bunch of laws with CPS. Like, you're supposed to... We're supposed to call them by their preferred name up until... And there's, like, a there's a rule about it, too. I think it's by age 12. Like, like at any age, you're supposed to call them by their preferred name if we judge professionally that it's valid and, and real um, so that they feel comfortable in school. But I think by age 12, you have to say it, what is it? So there's a cutoff at 12, where like when you're interacting with their parents, like by age 12, you can just say, you know, this kid wants to be called Joe, you can call them Joe to their parent without parent consent. But before age 12, you're supposed to refer to them in legal documents by their legal birth name. And when you're talking with their parents, like it's expected to have a conversation with the kid in advance. Like... When, with your mom, I'm supposed to say this. Does she know that you want to be called Joe? And then let the kid kind of make that choice. If it's a real concern, which I think is awesome. So this is, this is something that could totally, like, you could find out who you are at school. Or you could, you could identify, you could, you could in, in essence, be more comfortable with yourself at school. And... Than at home. Right. Yeah, sure. And in some cases... That could be, I mean, that could definitely be, like, the doorway to, like, some kind of coming out situation, right? Sure. Okay. Yeah, I think. And I think I don't think that that's anything new, right? 
like someone feeling uh, I'm only really comfortable in the art room, right? Okay. Or I'm only really comfortable when I'm, you know, in the locker room with my friends or where I'm, and I got my football jersey on. Okay. That's where sure. I feel at home. Like, that's normal, I mm-hmm. think. And, and people are finding their tribe and finding their their own uh, identity through stuff that happens to be at school. Sure. But if, like, this is a different level, obviously, but, like, being more comfortable at school than at home I don't think is abnormal at all. Definitely at a certain age, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But it's weird to think about that, like, with little kids. But how hard is it to be like, okay, you want to be called Frankenstein five-year-old? We'll do that today, and then by tomorrow... Hopefully you'll want to be called something else. Yeah. Hmm. But to be like, you know, what you want is bad, it's not hurting anybody, right? I guess there is a line, though, where it becomes like... You have to question their self identity, like their ability to identify themselves. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's a weird thing. I don't know. I don't have the answer, but I have what I what I would do. Oh sure, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Are are there certain pe- Are there certain super progressive people you try to keep away from your life? Just because you don't want similarly, to right? Too close. Similarly, like if it's authentic, that's awesome. Hmm. But if people are, you can tell when people are just like putting on that shirt yeah. and be like, "Look at me." Uh, I got my coexist shirt, guys. Like, that's not the same shit, right? For sure. But if someone is, if someone is legitimately away, like, and they're being authentic, I think that's, uh, that's great. You know what I mean? But I guess if their authentic self is trying to change people around them, that can become difficult to be around sometimes. Right? I don't know. I've never, I've never had to make that decision of like, don't, don't want to be around that person because they're gonna, all they're gonna talk about is, whatever, thing. Yeah, man. Agenda. I, I don't. Yeah. I guess I have made that decision a I bunch of times. It's weird for me because like, um, like I say a lot of crazy shit, mm-hmm. or I speak my mind a lot, mm-hmm. and um, something that the podcast has actually helped me with is like. I'll say something crazy on here. Yeah. But then I have, like, 30 minutes to, like, back it up, discuss it, mull it over. And reshape it. Yeah. Or at least, like, take some of the sting out of it, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Because, like, um, like, I had this thing where, like, uh, I was saying, like, I, uh, I don't use the word faggot casually. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's not, I haven't, like, expelled it from my vocabulary. Right. I've never used that word violently towards a gay person. Okay. Ever. Um, but I call my friend, I call my friend a faggot a couple times. And, and innocently, jokingly, not an issue. Yep. But, like, um, if so I was you at said a cocktail your friend, party, is it, like, your friend who is also gay? No, no, no. It was just okay, just my like boy. your buddy. Okay. Yeah, he, he called me one night. He had just had his baby, and he was like, man, you know, I was laying in bed last night, and Tiara was breastfeeding, and, you know, I had my arm around her, and it was just like the most beautiful thing ever. And I was just like, if you don't get this faggot shot on my phone right now, you know, <laughs> like, ew. Um, and then we just both started laughing, and yeah, our yeah, conversation yeah. went on. But, like, um, you know, like, there are people who could hear that excerpt, and it's all of a sudden, like, you know... Jared's a gay basher, Jared's, like, anti-whatever, and it's like, 
I definitely can see how, like, people use words and words are dangerous and mm-hmm. words are powerful and that whole thing. But, like, you know, um, people that are going to just make assumptions based on, like, sound clips. I know this is hard to say in this day and age. Well, like, exactly. Everything, everything is, like, made or made or broken on a sound clip. Yeah, because who has the attention span to, like, to listen dig to an through hour. all that data? Exactly right. But they have the time span to, like, tweet and, like give you a bunch of shit for it. That's right, because they get feedback for like, it right if you away. Listen, if you listen three more minutes, you'll realize that you're, you're ma- this, none That's of this hard. means anything or means what you're saying to me. This is how I feel right now. I want this, and this is what people do. Yeah. It's, it's frightening. It's weird, bro. It is weird. I agree. And, like, with that social media shit, like, you get all, you get all this feedback immediately from wherever you put it out because mm-hmm. other people see it. And then they, you know, like it or tag it or whatever, react or comment. And all of that is interaction, right? Yeah. So we, it feeds, it feeds our our need to do that because it's an easy way to get that interaction and get that, like, little dopamine kick from, like, I'm going to put this out and, and interact with people, but I don't have to get off the couch. Yeah, and it's kind of like, if you let Facebook, like, algorize your life, I mean, you're kind of just... Kind of just talking to the same people That's about right. the same shit. That's right. And I feel like they even know, like, how to get, like, your comments to people who will think unfavorably of them, too. Like, sure. Who like, will yeah, interact with them. Yeah. circle, but then they'll get people that will also, like, be fiery about it, too. It's like, like, they pick where they want your yep. your thoughts and your opinions to go. Yeah, that's a lot of power, too. Yeah. And that's so many people's, like, window to the rest of the world. Are you watching Black Mirror? No. Oh, it's crazy. You know, you know what it is, all right. Mm. Oh, did you ever watch the Twilight Zone? Mm-hmm. Like any, bro, it's that for the new millennium, bro. Like they've got this one. Uh, it's like everybody has like like Facebook, and it's like uh, everybody has like a Uber rating, okay, like four point three or whatever. And there's like four. It's a one to five. So like four point five and four point eight and four point nine people. That's like Obama and you know. Uh, internet celebrities, okay. Kim Kardashian type people, I okay. guess like normal people would probably be like you know like mid high threes or whatever. Okay, but like you interact with other people to try to raise your your status, and you like like other people's statuses because that like marginally raises your status and stuff. But then like interactions, you know, will fuck stuff up too, right? Because like we'll be talking right now, right? We both have our phones out. We're like rating each other based yeah, on the yeah, answers yeah. we're giving each other. But then like uh, you know you leave. And I don't walk you to the door, and you feel the way about it. So you, you know, you fuck off. Black Mirror, that sounds good. It's really good. They've got like it's four seasons now, and the seasons are super long. Seasons like one season is like four episodes, and then they've got another one that's like six. But it's really good. That sounds good because like that's like raises a bunch of great questions. Yeah. Like nothing's authentic anymore if you're doing things to get your ratings affected, right? And it brings out the true nature of some people that I'm just gonna be a dick because I'm just gonna fuck up your day to day, bro. Yeah. And and it plays into like it plays into it's almost like a credit score too. Yeah. Cause like this you know in the movie uh, in the show she was like trying to get like there was an aspect of where she was trying to get her number higher so she could move into this condo. Wow. Cause like it's other people there too so then living in this condo is gonna raise it. Yeah and yeah people yeah. People in that condo are at a certain level so then interacting with them brings your level wow. higher too. It's like. Wow, that's terrifying. That's yeah, fucking crazy. Man. Speed round. Go for it. Dan, um, do you have a favorite band? Uh, 
usually, but it's never the same favorite band. Does that make sense? Does like, it like rotate? Like, yeah, yeah. Right now, like, is it always like the same three or four? Mm, and you just it just depends on what mood you're in, what one you say. No, I guess that's kind of like what what is getting me like excited in the moment, right? Okay. So, and like it usually like it lasts for a little while, and then I grab on something else for a little while, and then I grab on something else for a little while. Um, there are like those bands that I think shaped me a lot. Um, and like I'll always like go back to them, but uh, like right now I'm like back on a Snarky Puppy kick okay. again. I don't know if you know them or not. No, they're pretty fucking great. Snarky Puppy. Snarky Puppy. Oh. So it's like uh, it's mostly instrumental, very very dense, like rock jazz soul stuff, like four keyboard players, drummer and a couple percussionists. Six or seven guitar players, um, it's it's pretty intense, and they got a lot of really good videos on uh, on YouTube that like document their recording process. Okay, um, and they're great. They are fantastic. Nice. They're, one of their new projects was this big duet that the Snarky Puppy, which is like a rotating cast of musicians, um, they did with this group called the Metropole Orchestra, which is like this huge orchestra that plays this like real modern orchestral music okay so the band leader from Snarky Puppy was up on this big then they recorded the whole album live so the band leader from Snarky Puppy was on this big riser and the conductor from the Metropole Orchestra was on that same big riser and they kind of led their half of the ensemble in this big collaborative process and they always have people in the room when they record like just listening and getting that live atmosphere it's it's awesome and the music is really really cool and that same sort of thing that I love about um the Foo Fighters, where it's like, it's about to take you in one way, uh-huh. and you think you know what's happening, and it just juts over quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really interesting in that way. Um, and they do some stuff with vocalists. Anyway, I'm, I'm into them right now. That's the um, There's a drummer from, I think, from Belgium or Germany, and I'm embarrassed that I don't know, like, which he's from, but his name is Benny Greb. Okay. And he does uh, a couple albums where it's, like, him doing the Bobby McFerrin thing with like all these vocal layers okay. and then playing drums underneath that and it's awesome because he's just like super clean and like knows how to push and pull and get sloppy in really musical ways so that combination I think is really really fun to listen to yeah he's great those are my two big ones right now I suppose and then Calvin is all about John Coltrane right now really? so whenever we're like in the van he's like Calvin wanna listen to music? yeah John Coltrane and like Turn it up, Dad. A little louder, please. Loves really? It. Yeah, it's awesome. It makes, I'm like super proud. Two. And that's what he's into. John Coltrane. I'm always amazed. He plays saxophone very fast. Yes, he does. Like, he's into it. And he, like, so John Coltrane is our best. They can best. talk like that, too. Calvin is pretty, pretty awesome. Wow. Yeah, Maceo Parker is good, but he doesn't play fast like John Coltrane. Wait. <laughs> that's right. He does. I, mean, I don't know why he remembers all this, but he wow. does. That's crazy. Yep. Is, what's is that like? What's the most amazing thing that you've noticed, like your kids do? Um, just the like when he's when Calvin don't started, say anything corny. Like hold his head up. No. Okay. No, that is cool. I mean, like the first time all that happens, all those milestones are great. Okay. Like you're just like, oh my god, oh my god. But the thing that like blew my mind and like turned them into people was like when Calvin started telling his first jokes, like doing things on purpose to make other people laugh, hmm. like. And his first joke was, you know, what's this? Oh, that's, you know, that's a, that's a cow. Or what's this in this book? That's whatever. His first joke was, that's a monkey. 
Ah, he thought it was the funniest thing ever. But like he came up with that. I didn't like say, you know, say it. And I didn't. I didn't show him that it was funny at first. He said, "I'm going to do this to make my dad laugh," and that that blew my mind. And there's been a lot more of that lately as he gets more just kind of aware of stuff. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, the first joke so far is my favorite milestone. Favorite Chicago sports team? I mean. You're not a sports fan like that. At all? No. Not even like if I have to, if you have to buy me a so hat. With you want to know what my answer is, and it's not something I'm proud of? The Bears from 2008. Like the Rex Grossman Bears is my favorite <laughs> Chicago sports team. <laughs> because fucking Rex Grossman was a total fluke human being. And what was great about him is every time he touched the football, it could be the most amazing thing in the world or the worst thing in the world. There was nothing predictable about him. And I, I had so much fun watching those Bears games that year. Wow. With all, and those characters were all awesome, too. Yeah, I, see, I, I remember it as, like, the Devin Hester year. Right. So, yeah. Well, and then, like, watching him do all that amazing stuff he did, like, making everyone in the world think he was about to take a step in this direction at this distance, yeah. and then just turning at, like, such an unpredictable angle and speed. It was, it was amazing. That was amazing. And then listening to him read the copy on all the ads he did on the radio, and, like, uh, I can't remember what it was for, but, like, it doesn't seem like he knows how to read very well. Mm, so, like, it was rough, dude, and so funny to listen to at the same time. They so, did like, the Floyd Mayweather one, too. Did they? wasn't good either. But you can almost hear the edits where, like, he had to say, like, two sentences, and you can almost hear how, like, they had, like, these two words, and then cut, and then that word, and then cut, mm. and, like, just piece together something intelligible. Rough. But it's an interesting, like, taking the humanity out of that, sure, that's sure, an interesting sure. character. Yeah, yeah. Right? And what a great skill he had with that one thing. But then everybody figured him out, and then he wasn't hmm. wasn't the big deal. But yeah, that, that era was my favorite Chicago You probably really team. get past a lot if you're an athlete, right? Who? As far as, like, grades and stuff. Oh, absolutely. Or if you show some kind of, like, athletic promise early Anything on. like that, right. Yeah. And, like, that's a whole intelligence that's not really celebrated by, like, our society as... Like, as a part of, of your well-rounded intelligence. So, like, if you're really good at that, you don't have to be great at other stuff, right? You can kind of... If you're in the right school or the right system, you can just ride that wave all the way as far as it takes you. But then you're screwed. Right. Like, if you don't make it to that elite level, what do you have going on? You got nothing. Booby Miles. Right. Friday Night Lights. Yep. There it is. Great movie. Yeah, I hear the TV show is pretty good too. I never oh, you know what? When you said Friday Night Lights, I go to the TV show. Oh, really? Yeah, the movie I wasn't. Uh, I watched it once and I wasn't super into it. Oh, okay. Because it was like Varsity Blues had just come out and okay. I, I was into that one. I was there's nothing 22. funny about Friday Night Lights. No, it's and the TV show is is deep. glorious. Really? Yes. I'll check it out. Yeah, as like uh, just from as a teacher, I, that's how I watch it. Um, but like that coach interacting with those players. Mm-hmm. And just watching them to become better, genuinely, like, helping them to improve, awesome. And the culture that he puts together is great. That's, like, one of my favorite. Like, if I know someone who's going to go into teaching, I tell them to watch that show. You should watch that show. Mm. Since you're teaching, though. How long have you been married? Six, seven years? Eight years. Eight years. 17. Is this 17? 18 now, right? 2018. Yeah, 09. So nine years. Nice. It'll be nine years in July. Yeah, I'd be better with that answer, right? Yeah, but my wife is the same way. Oh, okay. She's great with that shit. Like, we don't do anniversary stuff. We don't We don't give each other Christmas presents. Really? No, we just, like, do nice things for each other whenever we feel like it. Wow. 
this is gonna seem like a corny answer now because you just said all those nice things. Sorry. But what? Uh, so like, I don't want to give me any marriage tips. Okay. But how do you how do you stay interested in Amanda all this time? Uh well, she's really fun to be around. You know what I mean? And we, even though we argue a lot, you know, and like having the kids is a stressor on a relationship and dealing with, you know, careers and all that. Like, there's just, you know, life is hard sometimes. But, like, at the core of it, she's really fun to be around and she helps me to be a better person and she pushes me in a lot of really good ways. And she's my best friend, you know, which is the corny answer. But, like, if. Who do I want to be around right now? I want to be around her. And who do I want to tell this story to after I leave here? I'm going to call her and say, you know, I was with Jared and we had a blast. We talked about this. And then that guy played Happy on the drums. Who is your next best friend? Everybody else. Honestly. You know, <laughs> okay. like, it's, it's, okay. it's amazing. Like, I have, like, my oldest friend, that my buddy Matt, who I've, you know, been friends with since high school that mm-hmm. I see all the time. And, like, I'm his son's godfather and he's... You know, my oldest friend. Um, but, like, nobody knows me the way that Amanda knows me. And that's, that's like, super special, mm-hmm. you know? And, but, and I love everybody else. I just I love her more. Right, right, of course. You know? Yeah. When you... Is it fair to say you were, like, raised in a cop family? How many cops do you know? Uh, or are you related to? Related to? Uh, so my dad... My brother, my brother's wife, um, and... Your brother's wife? Yep. Wow, okay. They met in the academy, actually. Okay. Um, my oldest friend, my best friend Matt, was a police officer. His sister, his dad, uh, a good amount. Your mom's a judge, right? She's a judge. Retired, but yeah. Yeah, she was a prosecuting attorney, and then uh, ran for judge. And uh, her story is awesome, actually. Yeah. She So she when she became a judge, she did like divorce court and loved it. And then, uh, some for some reason, like she transferred to like the, the juvenile court at Ogden and Hamilton, and there's like two sides to that system. Where there's like the delinquency side, and then there's the abuse and neglect side. And she got put into the, the abuse and neglect side, which is like determining, which is what a hard job, right? Determining whether these kids should go home with their mom and dad, right, right. or whether that's a terrible place for them, like not a healthy place for sure. them to go. And deciding that the best thing to do is to put this kid in the system, well, as broken okay. as it is, like right, what right. a what a hard choice that is, right? Yeah. Your house must be pretty fucking bad for it to be right. advisable for you to get right. into a system. Exactly. And right. hope that you get put in foster care. Right. Because right? at the time, it was like they were taken in. Just Audi home. Yeah. Way, way faster than they were putting people out. Right, right, right. So then she worked there and then kind of like through a chain of events, ended up becoming the chief judge in charge of that. And in her, I think she was there like five years as the, as the boss. And, like, totally turned it around to the point where more kids were going out than coming in. Okay. Which is amazing. Nice. And then, uh, then there's a, another dramatic story, and she ended up going somewhere else. Okay. Oh, um, yeah, that, so yeah, the judge. And you're a Chicago public school teacher. Yes. Why aren't you a cop? Uh, I don't have, I don't have that in me. You what is I mean? that? You don't have what in you? So, when there, I, there's, like, a, a weird like fraternity thing that I don't really have mm-hmm. with police officers and there's a weird like uh, 
like a alpha dog thing that they right. need that I don't have. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think it's important for that role to to have that mentality because you are tasked with walking into a situation that is problematic, mm-hmm. right? Like they don't call you to say, "Hey, can you come give us high fives?" Right? Right. People call the police because something's not working well. And you have to go into that situation and take charge mm-hmm. of people who many of them are not going to want you to be the taking charge, right? So you have to command that that attention. Sure. And I don't have that. Um, I'm really good at like we're here in this like this in a, like a teaching situation, and we're in this room, and like we're all here for this purpose. Whether you want to be here or not, I can get you better, and I can get you as far better as you want to get. I'm really good at that, at like okay. modeling that, but I don't have it in the like on the other side. You know a lot of police officers. Hmm. Um. Do you think you know any bad cops? No. Uh, bad cops like evil people. No. Okay. Um, people who might not be great at their job, I probably know some. And by great at their job, do you mean could that also be like maybe too good? That do you get, what do you mean by that? So like, uh, you, okay, so like you just said, like to be a cop, you've got to have like a thing. Mm-hmm. Like you've got to be like uh, you've got to have. Like oh, you, so you mean like macho, like overbearing? Yeah, Is that what like you, mean? you gotta be an alpha dog, but maybe they just like it's just way too much. Like they're alpha dogs. I understand what alpha you mean. Dogs. Yeah, um, and may not even be an alpha dog to begin with. Right. Like this could be like some whole like I, like over. I'm overdoing it because I'm I, I know I'm really mm-hmm. not this kind of guy either. Yeah, in my personal life, no, I don't. I guess I don't know people that way, but I I. Like some of my students' parents who are police officers, and I I see like those mm-hmm. sort of personality traits on on those those parents. Does that make sense? Yeah, I can see like this parent in that situation, but like the people that I actually maybe one or one or two people that I would consider even friends of mine, maybe like that in a in a weird way. Hmm. Yeah, but it's a weird job, man. Because like you. When you go through the academy, right, they tell you, like, you have to be in charge. So they teach you to do that alpha dog shit. Mm-hmm. And if it's not in you, like, you have to fake it, right? Right. You have to. That's part of that job. Sure. So until you get comfortable, like, on that side of the, like, the star, like, with teachers on that side of the desk, mm-hmm. you have to fake it until you're, until you're ready for it. Um, because you, the people, like, the people that you're, like, serving and protecting are... They need to be able to look at you as the authority, right? Sure. Whether you're ready for it or not, which is why you have, like, the, the, like, no, I need a different police officer, send me somebody else. Okay. Because that stuff's, like, it's hard to, it's hard to sell fake to, to, to other people. You have to, that's another skill, right? Sure. To, sure. to bullshit your way through something. <laughs> but that's hard. I can't imagine. And, like, a major difference that I kind of think about between, like, my job as a Chicago public school teacher and someone who's a Chicago police officer is like the people that I deal with are kids with a shit ton of potential right and they come here to learn how to get better and a lot of times like as a police officer you get sent to deal with people who don't have those skills to deal with other people mm-hmm. and in a in an environment where there's unhealthy relationships already and you're here to try to get people to either calm down 
or de-escalate it in some way, or just get people in, into some sort of a safe version of, of their reality. Right. Right? But you're, you have to go and interact with people who are going to just interact with you negatively. A lot. Sure. And you have to deal with violence, and you have to deal with negativity all day long. Right? If right. you're doing your job, right? Because there's also people who just go park in the parking lot and sure. go to sleep. But if you're going to go do your job, you're interacting with people. And, like, not all those interactions are positive. And you could say most of them are going to be negative, right? Mm -hmm. Most of the interaction between them and you. Sure. The public and you. Right, right. And uh, that's got a way on you. You have to, like, find a way to compartmentalize that. Like, I, like that would just poison me. Mm -hmm. Don't you, you, know, you understand what I'm sure, saying? Sure, sure, sure. To just be around negative all the time, you have all this negative input, it's going to be hard. I mean, that's generally how cops get into, like, substance abuse and right. shit like that, right? Right, right, yeah. right. Because you got to go find a way to, to turn all that off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. And well, there's no, like, trauma, no, there's not very good effective, like, trauma management. Stuff. Or even, like, uh, like, uh, like, is there, like, do, do police stations have counselors there? I don't know, and if I, I I don't know, I assume probably like there's a connection, like you can go talk to someone, but there's that. Weird I know you got it, like well, at least in the movies, like you have to like kill somebody, or like, you got to be like shooting to qualify people, like, to have to be yeah, yeah. Like I don't know any guy. I don't I, I I don't know. First off, but I don't. As far as I know, if a police officer goes to a situation where they had to pull their gun on somebody, yeah. they may have had to like wrestle somebody down and arrest somebody or break up something crazy. Mm -hmm. I don't think that they can go back to the station, take off their hat and their gun, that big stupid belt, and, like, go talk to somebody about, like, how they how they felt in that moment. Yeah, and I think... There, I, I'm, I would bet that there are. I bet you that okay. that exists. That, like, area of the department, that thing exists. But are, it's okay, crazy under-resourced and, therefore, ineffective. So there's, like, a weird stigma about it. I'm like, I could go talk to whoever, but that's just going to be a waste of my fucking time. Right. I was I'd rather go home. Or I was going to say, like, does, uh, you know... Does the police station in Inglewood have one of those? Or does the police station in Lakeview have one of those? Yeah. You know? Yeah, I don't know. Because there's definitely a division of resources. Oh, sure. In, in that way. Yeah, in yeah, yeah. Cases, yeah. In a lot of, in, in different ways, right? Mm -hmm. Like the, the buildings on the northwest side, I know what they look like. I don't know what the, the police op, the police department buildings okay. look like in those neighborhoods. Sure. Um, but I do know that, like, the number of, like, officers per square block is there's much heavier resources and higher violence, higher need areas than there are, like, up where I live. Does that make sense? Okay. Like, there are just more people because there's more work to do. Yeah, 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 for sure. So a different resource allocation. There's also a lot of like police downtown. People. Yeah, oh my God. There's not nearly the... the Holy shit. The, the violence to... Oh, absolutely. To, to constitute that. Or well, we gotta to make them fight. tourists. We gotta make them feel safe. Absolutely. Yeah, that shit is crazy. Like at Christmas time, it's like two cops on every corner. Or in the summer, even like yeah. they've got like they're on the bikes, then they walk down the street in like groups of four and six, and like they're just yeah. everywhere. I saw a bicycle cop pulling somebody over last summer. Like, really? In their car. Like you don't have your seatbelt on. I need you to pull over. And then they were like riding like at the corner of like the the cars right here, uh -huh. and the bike is like you know. Like, That's some alpha shit right there too, though. Out. Like you gotta have some balls to do that and try to pull somebody over. Yeah, it's also shitty, but it is. It's also I a would huge have the balls to do assumption that. of 
of respect. Mm-hmm. Like you're in a car. I mean, you're on, you're on a bike, and you're gonna pull me over in my car. Like I always imagine, like I'm I'm probably just gonna act like I don't see you. <laughs> like right, but then but that's, that's like the balls to get up there and do that. Yeah, right. Cause it'll be really easy to just pretend I don't see you. Yeah, like you're in you are in danger in that moment. Yeah. That's a shitty fucking way to go to work. Have but you, you choose to go, you choose to be proactive in that situation. Right? You would hope, yeah. Well, well, the cop obviously did, right? He didn't. Nobody told him to go pull over somebody with no seatbelt on. No, like, he he or she chose to do that. But that's the balls. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm trying to draw. Some, I'm trying to get some like witty like way to like. Uh, to, like, connect you being a Chicago public school teacher and you kind of being, like, raised in this, like, cop den. Mm-hmm. How do you, like, so, like, how do you, when you see, like, young kids getting shot by police, mm-hmm. what is your, what is your thought process? Uh, so, Cause but, I, I, I could be wrong. Yeah. But I feel like you have some kind of, like, unique sight on this, right? Well, Maybe so, not. Kind of I don't know about unique, but I have my own okay. side of it. So the the idea that everyone is kind of, you know, you're born into your situation, right? And you have the values that, for whatever reason, uh, are put onto you as a young person and shaped onto you mm-hmm. by your elders, sure. right? Um, whether that's just, like, your parents or the people around because your parents aren't around or whatever. The people who have shaped you, to the, your environment. Mm-hmm. That has shaped you to be who you are, and with, with like the young kid cop thing, it's a really weird thing, because there's obviously like in the police district, the police department's perspective, like there is this whole uh, job that we have to do to go out there and protect people, right? And that's like the the, the what's what it says on the car, right? right. To serve and protect sure. people. But then, like, you go and you are working in areas where the, the, the relationship is just so damaged between the residents and, like, the citizens mm-hmm. and the, the police officers who are tasked to serve and protect those citizens where, like, there's no trust on either side of that, right? And there's a lot of reasons that, that, is, that we are at this point. There's, all this has already happened, right? But there's no... It's very difficult to reach across and be like, okay, this is happening. We're going to help each other in this situation because there's animosity. Sure. And there is suspicion and there's mistrust and there's just like a, this heightened heightened uh, anxiety mm-hmm. with, with, with all those interactions. That's never... Well, it's easy to, to see those situations end badly. And it's really hard to to be the first one to initiate that that reach across, mm-hmm. right? And then for that to gain any momentum is, is, is almost non-existent, I think. Because there's always going to be so many people who aren't willing to do that on both sides right. that it's going to ruin any sort of olive branch or extension of trust that, that just that moment of vulnerability, like, I need your help, or I can help you, or we're going to do this together. That's vulnerable, right? You have to trust the other person in that situation. And then there's a huge... And it's uh, easy to pull that arm back real yeah, fast. Yeah, yeah, And there's a huge un... Uh, there's a huge misappropriation of power between the two groups trying to come to this mm-hmm. reconciliation. Right. So when a... 
when like somebody when a little kid gets shot, that's sad always, right? But the the situation is one person is feeling uncomfortable, one person is feeling afraid or whatever, and like <clears throat> no like or both of them have no idea what the other is seeing is more more likely what's happening, right? Okay. So <clears throat> in this hypothetical situation, I guess we're not talking about anything specific, but um kid is in a room, police officers in a room. Something has to happen for this person to do something to that person, right? So whether this kid is showing something or this kid is walking or doing whatever, this person for whatever reason feels like this person is not is dangerous, mm-hmm. right? Because this person isn't going to wake up, at least in my belief, and say, I'm going to go shoot somebody today, and I really hope it's a kid. Right. Nobody's going to wake up and feel that way. Sure. So there's there's something. Whether that something is going to provoke, like, deathly violence, I, I, I usually know, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't know. And b- b- being in that situation where I feel afraid for whatever reason, I don't know how I would respond. Does that make sense? Sure. I don't know. It's hard. It's real hard. But my friends that I know that do this job tell me stories that terrify me. So one that uh, that I, the scariest one that I can think of. Uh, my, my, my buddy Matt is on like this special unit with uh, CPD and they go and um, either they go into like heavy sort of, sort of uh, violent areas and look for um, either drug corners to deal with or they look for putting like doing some sort of investigative work, like legwork of investigations, to sort of work on like gang violence. So he doesn't basically. wear a uniform. He doesn't wear a uniform. Right. No. No. He just. Uh, no. He like sits and watches houses, or he goes out and proactively like looks for. He's like an undercover people. kind of. Not really undercover. He's on like this unit of like go-getting people. Right. Like, they're trying to get guns off the street and drugs okay. off the street. He's That's not, he's not like, pulling people over for tickets. Correct. He's, like, on, Absolutely he's like on assignment. That's right. Kicking doors down, almost. Maybe. Uh, so maybe sometimes with, like, search warrants. But, like, okay. usually it's a little more subtle than that. But he's got, like, sure. you know, uh, CIs and shit to deal with. Okay. So, um, so he's got uh, this story that he tells where they're looking for some guy. I don't remember, like, the initial details. But he's looking for this guy. And he's running through a... Uh, like a vacant lot mm-hmm. and then he thinks he sees somebody running into like this basement stairwell so he goes down there and the guy and everything's fine but holy shit I don't know what I would do in that situation right? yeah like it's fucking scary as hell and for him to tell that story is it's it's, it's terrifying like this is my buddy that I have gone bowling with and like went camping with and right threw water balloons at when we were fucking 13 and like for him to be like I had to go fucking run at this guy twice my size is the way he describes it who doesn't want to get arrested that's a heavy that's a big motivator sure right and go fight with that person for my job that's fucking crazy like he's got his his degree is in art like studio painting and like this is what he does how the fuck does he end up as a cop isn't that beautiful though I, I think guess. it's beautiful. Because like, he looks at the world in this great way and he just happens to be a police officer for his job. And does it in a really creative, effective way. 
He's going to be detected pretty soon. But he's been doing this gang team thing for a, a while now and, like, fighting with people all the time. Like, that's a fucking scary way to live your, to do your job. Or it's, like, super fun, right? Like, I or it's super like, fun, I, don't know, I like, guess. But there, there is an aspect of, like, I don't know. Like the rush of that yeah. little thing? I don't know. The way my dad tells it, it was a really fun job. But my dad would but fuck your with dad, people all But the your time. dad was, was a it. police officer 100 years ago. That's right. Like, it's it was totally very different. different. Yeah. Did he live in the neighborhood that he patrolled? Uh, no. Because I feel like I feel like that thing you were saying earlier about how you're a teacher and you be in the neighborhood and they mm-hmm. see you outside of the classroom. Like I feel like that would be way more beneficial for a cop. There's programs. For I that. guess it'd be I guess it'd be dangerous too. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, there's programs. Like there's like a teacher next door and a cop next door program where you can get like discount mortgage rates oh, for Lord. certain certain neighborhoods, which is great. So there's like nudges in place to try. Did to... you get rid of your student loans like that? Did you go teaching some like low income schools no. and that they bumped all your stuff away? No, Amanda did that. Oh, but CPS is one of those low income districts. Oh, just period. So, yeah. So like, if you teach in an urban school, oh, in an okay. urban district, you get. Have you not taught in urban districts? I teach Chicago Public Schools. It's oh, it just school. all is. Yeah, I just I didn't have to do that to get rid of my student loans. Oh, okay. That's what's up. Yeah. It's crazy, bro. It is, man. It is. And, like, I don't know, like, where the answers are, obviously, but, like, their problems are everywhere. Sure. Right? And the problems of, like, bad schools and high violence and all that shit are all so connected. And all we're doing is making it worse by, like, closing schools down and disinvesting in these communities. The school should be the center of the community. Right? That should be the safest place ever in that neighborhood, in every neighborhood. Yeah. And they should all be fantastic and have what the neighborhood needs. Because the needs in Englewood are different than the needs where we're sitting now and where where I live. Yeah. They're very different. So all those all these neighborhoods need different stuff from their school, but the school should serve as the center for that, for continued like adult education, for uh, for everything. It should all happen around the school. And every school should be good, and kids should be able to walk to their school and ride their bike to their school in their neighborhood. That should be a safe place to go do what you need to do. Yeah, but our our answer in Chicago is like give people options and choices, right? Which you understand, like if things aren't working, give people an option to get out of that thing. But you at the same time have to make the the baseline safe at least and right. high quality. Yeah, like that should that should definitely be like a choice. It yeah. shouldn't be like. Like, uh, like to like to specialize almost, you know. Like you can go, mm-hmm. you can go to Jones all the way downtown, if you're specializing in like theater or like business or something like that. Right. Like there should be nothing wrong with you going to Morgan Park. That's right. And you shouldn't go to Jones because your neighborhood school is right. not good enough. You shouldn't say I need to go to Jones because my neighborhood school is crap. Right. And then if you don't get into Jones, then move out of the city, which is what a lot of families do. Hmm. It's fucking sad. It's rough. I don't know. I try to be really cool with police. It's hard because, like, especially like, like you are a black guy. That like people walk up and say, "Hey, I'm you know fucking Jared," but to them, a lot of times, like, "Oh, this is another person talking to me, and I got to be on my fucking yeah, my my whatever, my fucking my anxiety will go up." It's different for you than it is for me, anyway. Like, that's real. For sure. 
you know? And my first time interacting with a police officer that I did not know, uh, and being treated shitty was, like, shocking to me. Because hmm. it just was not my norm. It was, like, my dad's friends at the bar that I grew up like, fucking right. coloring while they're all drinking and telling stories, and I'm, like, nine years old or whatever, you know? Like, that was what police officers were to me, or at the big cop district picnic, and, like... Like, oh, that's fucking Uncle whatever, yeah, you know? Yeah, you never got pulled over and said, hey, I'm, I'm Charlie's dad. I'm, I'm Charlie's son. You I know? still don't do Come that. On. No? I still, no, I don't do that. Really? Never. Never once. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm really uncomfortable with that, actually. Once in a while, like, because my parents' cars always have, like, the cop sticker on it. Right. And they're like, Sergeant Sticker, who's your dad? And then I, would, I wouldn't lie. I would tell them, like, I know him. Get out of here. Right. So that's happened a couple right, times. Right. But I never say, you know, even though my dad's like, this is how you do it. This is not rude. It's not right, selfish. Right. Just right. fucking tell him. Whatever, yeah, like there's a whole speech I was supposed to, 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 to do, but I right, right. I never did it. Um, but uh, the first time I got, like, I guess I was interacted with in an aggressive way by a police officer, I was I was shocked. And, like, I didn't understand what was happening. I made a U-turn or something, I can't remember. And the guy was just like, fucking pull over. And I was like, I just went the wrong way, it's no big deal. I kept driving. And then he came up behind me, like, real fast with the lights, and it was fucking scary. And... Like, he got out and was just like, and I gave him, you know, my fucking, whatever. I was like, you know, I just, I was going here. I went the wrong way. And the guy's like, you live fucking whatever. And, like, was yelling at me. Like, how do you not know where you're going? I'm like, I don't live in Chicago right now. I live in Boston. I haven't driven in three years. But I gave my story. Right. And he's like, fuck this bull. And, like, was aggressive. I couldn't believe it. Hmm. And then I went home. I was like, I can't fucking take it for this, Dad. And then, like, my dad, like, we're going down to the station. And even then, like, down at the police station, my dad's like, you know, I'm a retired police sergeant. Is there anything we can do? And uh, the guy never came out of, like, the back where they were. And he, like, he was, like, vehement. He wasn't going to cut me a break because I was such a prick. Wow. When I was just like, no, 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 it's no big deal. But I, I can see, like, from his perspective, I'm just, like, an arrogant piece of shit. Mm-hmm. But that was always my interaction with police up until that day. Hmm. Yeah. And then a couple weeks, this is another funny story. Couple, another... Negative interaction, I guess. Well, sort of negative. Uh, we were, I was with my wife, and we were walking to pick up something at, like, a CVS or whatever. And I saw a police car drive by. Oh, there's a cop car. I don't think about that shit because it doesn't affect my life in that way. And then all of a sudden, like, the policeman, like, pulled over right in front of me and got out. And I was like, Hello, is everything okay? And then as he started talking to me the other cop was just standing behind me so like he had gotten out somewhere else and came down the alley to like hmm. catch me in case I was about to run I guess I looked like somebody that they were like looking for he's like are you Dan? I was like yeah and then the other guy got real close he's like Dan blah 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 no like I was like so fucking scared wow. like to have those guys like closing seal on team you. six in my mind anyway like coming, right. closing in on me that's crazy. But then, like, it makes you wonder, like, if that's your interaction every time, there's no, like, no surprise that people feel like cops are assholes. Because yeah. if you're interacted with as a piece of shit, that's, that sets the tone for the relationship. Yeah. And you're a normal-sized guy. Mm-hmm. Imagine if you were, like, four inches taller. And, like, you, you also come with this, like... like Dangerous vibe, yeah. Yeah, like, suppose cops are on edge anyway. Yep. But now they, now they see you as this, like, huge physical threat. Mm-hmm. Weird. Yeah, and like my sister-in-law is five three. Yeah, I can't. I, I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine being a female cop. Mm-hmm. Number one, and then I really hope that I'm never put 
in a like in a in a uh, a heightened emotional situation with one, right? With anybody, honestly, but like I see what you mean, right? Yeah, it just I don't, I don't know. Like I just don't, I don't want, I don't want to have a, I don't want to like have my like that that guy who was like you know you have to kill me before I go in. Obviously, I don't feel that way about it. like I'm I feel confident that whatever I'm getting arrested for. I could probably get out the next day. I mean, uh-huh. pot's not that big a deal right now. Right. But, like, I don't know how I would feel if a female police officer was, like, coming at me, like, super aggro, and she's 5'3". Mm-hmm. Because you're, you're, like, mixing things in my head. That's right. It's if like, she's taught, I have to be the alpha dog, and I have yeah. to take command of these people. And I don't even want to make, like, I don't know what I would do if a 5'6 a police officer, that's not, like... Five, six, both ways. Mm-hmm. Like, right. Come on, bro. I'm gonna need you to calm down. Right. <laughs> like, right. But you have to be careful how you say that shit because yeah, yeah. He's, he's got a gun. And but see, not everyone thinks about it in that win. way, right? Like, generally, these things work out in his favor. Right. Right. So uh, another story that cop friends have told me is like, no matter, especially like in the last couple years, uh, where there's like heightened sensitivity and heightened uh, aggression is the wrong word, but frustration. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, Everybody takes a try or takes a crack at like getting out of it or whatever, or making some sort of comment. Right. He's like, "That's a given." So everyone's gonna try to run at least a little bit or to try hmm. to get a little bit of that alpha status somehow. Okay. So the, the story he tells is, uh, he's like, you know, you go and somebody's just there's like a, a phone call for disturbing, whatever, something simple, right? You just want to go de-escalate and leave. And uh, you go talk to the guy, and he comes down, and he's like, he walks right at us, like aggressive, and you put your hand on your gun, which is like the move, right? Right. I need you to kind of calm down. We're just going to talk. And then the guy gets close, and uh, something happens. He's like, well, now I have to, like, you're getting close enough where I have to grab you and take charge of this situation. Mm-hmm. So well, I have to make it, I have to make a clear threat. Like, listen, if you don't stop, I'm going to have to, like, escalate the situation or if you want to be this close to me this is the way we have to be interacting right. I need to be standing here and you need to be doing whatever else right mm-hmm. because I don't know you at all I was brought to this place by the radio and whatever you know and never for anything good exactly right yeah. so you have all this mm-hmm. this experience right sure. that's that shaped your your interpretation of this situation so grabs a person on the arm or the person maybe uh, you grab the person on the arm and the person smacks your hand and right there, that person's going to jail now because that's that's assaulting, right? That's right. that's 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 the no no or, or resisting. That's exactly or right. Yeah. And now, there's not like a cut and dry like that's if you do this always this. Yeah. But there's still a little bit of you know. Uh, it's like sexual harassment. <sighs> kind of. I mean, I guess you can say that, right. There's like a, there's nothing really a gray area, or not like a time when it's okay, but there's. Like, are you gonna push? Are you gonna persevere this or not? Right. right. Are you gonna, like, there, there's. What's is this, the is this like? Of? Is this like something that I have to self self check, or is this something that I have to like? Ex- yeah, that might be a better way to say it. Exactly right. Push. Yeah. So, like, but that happens every time, mm-hmm. and like, depending on how the cop reacts in that situation, that sets the tone for the rest of that interaction. So my buddy, my same buddy, uh, you know, this happened. The guy's like, "You can't fucking touch me," and pushes him, and he's just like, "Okay, now I have to fucking." Fall on you and put you on the ground, yeah. and now you definitely are going to jail. And motherfucker, now my knee hurts because I fell on it because you just won't fucking answer when I say, "Please, can you blank?" I tried really hard. I fucking walked up to you. And I said, "Excuse me, sir. 
and you fucking pushed me, and now my knee hurts, and you're going to jail. What a horrible fucking day for both of us. Right. And that's, like, his reaction to the whole thing. And the guy's like, well, I had to fucking take a try, or something like that. Like, it's just like, that's the norm, that's how I interact with police, says this guy. And that's not an isolated situation. That's a, you know, a specific situation, but that's yeah, not but, unique. Yeah, but even us, and it could be the fact that we are, neither one of us are cops, and we're we're so many steps away from the situation. Or super criminals, right? Right. <laughs> or but violent people in right, general. Right, right. Yeah. Or people who, you know, have like this like, oh, here's another cop, this is how I, like, I don't even know, this is how I deal with cops. Like, right. Or this is, you know, I had to take a crack, like, take a crack at what, bro? Exactly. Like, I'm just trying to go home. Right. I hate talking, I hate interactions with police, like, mm-hmm. all together. They give me heavy anxiety. Like, I just sure. don't like it. Yeah. And like, I'm a person that like, doesn't have a poker face. Like I've, I've even, I even have to be careful about how I communicate how much I hate these kind of interactions. Because like even now, like my, my boy with Will, police, like with people or with like police officers. With people, yeah, okay. but like with police officers for this conversation, because okay. you know, I mean, because then they get into those questions where you feel like they're like trying to get in it. Is everything okay, sir? You seem yeah, a little. Are you trying to hide like, something? Whoa. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's like not even like, are you trying to hide something? Like, is everything okay? Is you know. Is, is, Everything's not okay because yeah. I'm being pulled over. Just want to get out of here as soon as possible. Right. Like, you know, I mean, I, like we said earlier, like our experiences are different for obvious reasons. Right. Like the first time I got pulled over, I was, uh, well, I didn't get pulled over. I was with my dad walking home, two black guys walking through Beverly. Uh-huh. And we got pulled over and like sat on the curb in the snow while they like run our IDs. And like, I guess my dad had like just moved to that neighborhood. I was like three or four. Mm. And we're, like, sitting on the curb, and he's handcuffed, and I'm like, you know, don't move type of thing. Ugh. And then, like... I can't even imagine, as a dad. Like, here I am, I'm trying to bring my son into, quote-unquote, safe neighborhood, right? And this is my neighborhood, right? Yeah. And, oh, my God. And you have to really hope that, even in that case, where, like, the cop... It's like, how big an asshole are these cops going to be? Like, are they going to embarrass me in front of my son? Exactly. Like, are they going to, like, pull, like, some crazy shit? Like, it's already right. bad enough they got me sitting on the ground in the, in snow, the snow handcuffed. Right. And I don't have to have a conversation with my son about this when we get home. About, yeah. About, like, what happened. And what angle am I going to take? What's the best angle for him to hear? Holy shit. Because you don't want to start off that young that's right. saying shit, right? Well, that's, your dad is an intelligent human being. So, like, he wants to set you up to be an intelligent, successful, yeah. caring human being. A lot of people... Don't do that shit. Right. Yeah. And like, that, do your homework. I'm going to call the fucking cops. And that's like, yeah. cop, police officer is the boogeyman. Or, to a lot you, of know, you know, yeah, you know, that's how they, that's how, that's how they do us. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It could be one of those conversations. Exactly. Which starts like a whole different exactly. negative experience. Right. Or and that sets a ball rolling to a little kid. That just, that's hard to change course. Yeah. Yep. It's weird. It is weird. And it's like, it's so like, it's like, one of those Paul Thomas Anderson movies. It's like the littlest thing can like set the whole conversation a different way. Yeah, and there's no command Z. Yeah. Right? There's no, no. undo in in the real world. And there's no like uh, you know how like in the movies in the future, like with Robocop, like he had the eyes and then like the thing would pop up above your head, like he's cool, he's you know, uh uh-huh. not tripping. Nope. It's like there's you you get no data on people. That's right. Like it's really a, a mixture of like what you've done that day and what they've done that day. Right. And all and, of the experiences both of you have ever had in your you whole life. What you happened to, like, cross. Yep. Yeah. It's weird. 
It is weird, but it's also really exciting because, like, it's not all, like, negative interactions between police and people, right? Sometimes it's just, like, pretty girl and you, and you're in a place and you just smile at each other, and that's great. Yeah. And then you have this great feeling of just, like, smiling at people. And then you both go about the rest of your day feeling better. Right? Sometimes it's that. Sometimes it is. But that's not what we're talking about. But I guess no. it's important to remember that there's also some tailwinds. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Sometimes you have those moments where we saw each other at the concert. That's right. That's right. And like the rest of the night, we were like, I can't believe we fucking saw Jared. Yeah. That was and so hugged. great. It was great. That was great. It was. Yeah. I really like being me and like having like, like genuinely like different friends. I agree. You know, like, uh, like I knew other people there uh, that I was, you know, equally as excited to see or less excited to see. But like, um, you can be honest, maybe more excited to see. I said, did I say it? I said more. You said equally or less. Um, I don't know if there. I mean, was, it makes me feel good. That I don't know I was if there the was most... anybody that I was more excited to see there. Because like it was like, was that her? Was that Amanda's birthday? Yes. Yeah, like it was Amanda's Another birthday. Yeah. I just got done like wishing her happy birthday on Facebook or some weird shit. And, like, I had just, like, seen you guys earlier. And it's, like, I feel like this is, like, uh, this may be, like, the most consistently, like, I've seen you guys. <laughs> like, I came by the crib and got the That's right. rejected thing. Yep. And then we talked about the bike thing. And then we saw each other at concert. Yep. And, like, now you're here now. And I feel like we're, like, yeah. I feel like friends for real now. That's right. <laughs> Clicking. That's what's up. <laughs> Dan, this has been a great conversation. We've been talking for two hours that's 25 minutes now that's pretty awesome um, it doesn't feel like it it doesn't my butt feels like it has been sorry but I gotta get a better chair I gotta get another chair like this I stole this one from my old this job. feels good that's good yeah this is great yeah I we should talk to... more and even not recording it yeah for talk. sure definitely definitely because like you're only a few years older than me but like but those few years mean less and less as we both get older. A. True, but um, I've been playing with this idea of like OGs lately. Go right? for it. Keep going. Um, like I, I think an issue with kids now is they don't have a lot. Of, there's not a lot of OGs. All right. Like all their OGs are like it's like more of that. Um, we're all the same, but I'm your OG because I'm more popular. Or because I, I buy sneakers. But we're all the same age. But oh, I, interesting. I'm not, I'm not your OG because I have more experiences. I'm your OG because I have more followers than you on Instagram. That's some shit that Some shit that doesn't really qualify me as having more experience or mm -hmm. imparting any wisdom on you. It's just very surface level. What my teacher used to call, like, it's very, uh, what's the shit on the top of the cupcake? It's very frosting level shit. Okay. That makes it a difference. When I hear a guy say, uh, you know, he just got his new crib, yeah, uh, wife, he says, this is the man cave, it bothers me. Why? Because I don't feel like you were given your man cave. I feel like you kind of were like, okay, this is our house. I'm going to take the garage. The garage is going to be my space. Oh, that's interesting. Or was, or was the garage... Was I mean, it, Was it's, it given to you, Dan? No. I mean, oh, okay. it was like, this is our house, and from... I guess in the specific, like, man cave, like, this is your space type mm -hmm. of conversation, it was never of, a, a, like, where, it, was, it wasn't like a, 
keep your shit out of my shit. Mm-hmm. It was like, you love to do this thing, Dan, and where can you do this thing? Sure. Where's the right space? Sure, for sure, this? sure. So it was like, the garage is where my tools go, and that's where I build shit, and that's where I, whatever I do there. And then I also have these other things that I do. I play the drums, and there's we need space for that. Yeah. And that was important to my wife, that I have space to do that thing. So there's space in the basement that's dedicated to that. And we have fucking four pinball machines. There's space in the basement dedicated towards that because yeah. we like that shit. And you had a shooting range. We did have a shooting you range. Like, I forgot you, about that. Like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> that was a great day. Jared, come downstairs. Let's go bro. shoot this shit. That was so great. I forgot all about that. When I think of Dan, I think of like, okay, this is like... Okay. <laughs> that was so great. Okay, like you're, you're one of the few examples I have of like what young marriage could be. That makes sense. Like, I have friends that are married. I don't know if I would necessarily say that they are happy in the way that I would want to be happy in a marriage. And I'm not saying, I don't know how happy or unhappy you are. You seem like it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You seem, I mean, obviously, like If I had to check a box, happy. Sure, sure, sure. And you're happy with the arguments. You're happy with the... Most of the time, yeah. The bad stuff, because it ultimately builds up. It's just part of it. Yeah, toughens the skin for the good stuff, or whatever. Um, but yeah, like that happy wife, happy life shit, it seems very defeatist. It seems very like, you know, yeah, head but it's, down, kind of old schooly kind of thing. Yeah, and I think especially now, like people use that type of, those types of comments, those little cliche things just to like fill empty space. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't really mean anything. It's like, oh, that's what we say when we're married. You know, all the wife, ho, ho, ho. Great yeah. weather, right guys? But like, I think too many people end up getting married and they like have these well, this is maybe the wrong way to say it, but like they have these separate interests, right? Okay. And that's a good thing and that's important. But the separate interests separate the people in, in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Where Amanda and I both have separate interests, but she realizes how important the shit that I'm interested in is. And I realize how important the shit that she is interested in is. And we just are lucky that most of our shit is together. Right. And we just enjoy so many of the same things for maybe very different reasons, but a lot of the same types of things and I think that's where we kind of end up with an advantage is that we both just like being around each other like she worked at the same school I did for uh, for four years before before we had kids hmm. she worked at the same school as me she taught 8th grade and I teach you know the music stuff so we would drive to work together for those six minutes and leave together and drive those six minutes home we were together all the time and it was awesome neither of us were complaining about it and everyone we know is like how the fuck can you do that and be around each other all the time or people like the happy wife, happy life thing is people sure. feel like they have to settle or sacrifice part of their self to, to, to make this work. Otherwise, it's going to be problematic. That's like my interpretation of okay. that comment, True. right? I have to not do what I, not be myself to, to like, uh, to be around this person or to make this person feel okay. Otherwise, right. my life is hell. Sure. You know what I mean? But I don't have that situation with my wife. I like her a lot. That's what's up. Yeah. But I think that, like, the young marriage thing is, like, we're, she and I are both, like, super, like, immature with stuff, but responsibly immature, mm-hmm. you know? So, like, when it was, hey, I want to buy this pinball machine. She was like, which one? Let's go, fu- let's go fucking try some out. It wasn't like a, that's not okay, because that's not what grown-ups do. You know what I mean? Sure. Or like, hey, let's go spend whatever on fucking concert tickets for my birthday. It was like, okay, let's go do it. It wasn't like, oh, that's too much money. Can we really afford 
Like, we do fun stuff. We don't do a lot of big, expensive stuff, but when we do, we do things that make us both happy. That's what's up. Yeah. It's great, Dan. <laughs> that's what's up, man. I enjoyed you. That was weird. I was doing a high five. I, was high five. I know. I know. I thought this was like a... Uh, like the end of an 80s movie where our hands clasp in the air ah. and it pauses and it no. fades out. And the I don't know how to do those on. moves. We gotta, we gotta rehearse that. You gotta give me a dance lesson. Hilarious. On that. I don't know. But I'm happy that, that you like me because I like you a lot. Yeah. So. I'm a fan, Dan. Likewise. Yeah. We're mutual. And you know, I don't, did you, you haven't been to the Sauce Off last year or the last time we did it. There's a little ticket now. Like we have like the, the Legacy Trophy. You're on there. I think you were 95. I think that was your year. Or uh, 15, I mean. The sauce off. It was great. Those, those are good parties. <laughs> those are good parties, bro. The sauce ones. off is a, is a sauce competition that they do on... It's not the 4th of July, is it? It's the 3rd of July. The 3rd it's my of birthday. July. <laughs> so it's, it's the day when everyone has the next day off. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've definitely got drunk there multiple mm-hmm. times. Yeah, so we, we barbecue yeah. a shit ton of meat, and everyone brings a sauce, and it's we vote on the most delicious sauce, democracy yes. in action. Yes, and there's so many intricacies of the sauce-off mm-hmm. that can make or break a sauce. Yeah, man. I remember one year, like, somebody's stuff was getting, like, clogged in the... Like, if it's like a ketchup squirter thing. That's right. It was getting clogged in the squirter. You gotta turn some voters off with that. Fuck them up, bro. That's right. Somebody's looked weird. Mm-hmm. It was like a light sauce or something. Yep. People didn't respond. My my best sauce was in a chicken ketchup squirter, but it was before we did little cups. Yeah. So oh, okay. it, was, it was like a vinegar based sauce, so it just ran all over the plate, and nobody yeah. got to yeah, nobody yeah, got yeah. to enjoy it. Yeah, it's like a pork pork sauce. Oh, uh, it's, it's it was great. Yeah, that was great. great. I eat beef now. Yeah. So like things are, the whole world's opening up. That's good. <laughs> good stuff. That's what's up. Dan, this is episode seventy six of the Rojo Show. You I'm happy to be part of it. You gotta yeah, come man, back. We've been talking about this for six months at least. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, as far as I know, you listen pretty early on. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody listens through all of them. They find them when they do. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? People, like, drop off and hop back on. And that's what podcasts are here for. Yep. Uh, but, yeah, de- definitely glad you got on. Definitely got to have you on again because, like, we need to talk more off the podcast and then I think our conversations on the podcast, I agree, will be like a little more, little more directed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this, this is great. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how great this is going to be for anybody else. Right. This is a lot of like this is very like uh, Dan and Jared nerd centric. Mm-hmm. But we did have like the school stuff was great. Yeah. Um, the cop stuff was great. Mm-hmm. Hearing about you and your kids and like relationship stuff that's great. I'm going to be able to chop this up into some smaller segments. Okay. It'll be exciting. Good. Yeah, I'm glad. And uh, if you ever, I, I'm not, I have no shortage of opinions on stuff. No, I'm sure. So. I'm sure. What kind of car are you driving now? Right now? Yeah. My minivan? Oh, it's, uh, okay. it's a Ford Transit Connect. So it's, uh, this is kind of a funny story, actually. It's been marketed as the un-minivan. Okay. So it's basically, you know those like real tall Euro construction vans that people drive around? Like a Sprinter, kind of? Kind of like that. It's not quite as tall. It's Ford's okay. version of that. Oh, okay. So the Sprinter was the first one that came over, right? right. Mercedes has one now, and Dodge has one now. Yeah, they're yeah, all yeah. these little, they look almost like Snoopy. So uh, the one that I have is the Ford version, Okay. and it uh, is fucking great, because I can, I sit in it, and I can put my arm all the way up, 
full extension before I touch the ceiling. Okay. So that means I'll never bump my head. There's a shelf above, like the the like above where I'm sitting. You know what right. I mean? So I can put my shit up here. No one can see it. There's a big window in the in the roof for the kids to look up and see the you know tall buildings when we're downtown. And is it a, is it a moon roof? Like does it retract and stuff? No, it's just okay. glass. It's okay. just glass. Um, but there's like a little shade that goes back and forth. Nice. Anyway, it's got uh, seven seats and a shit ton of space. I can put a bike in there on the kickstand standing up. Does it have like uh, captain? Like, does it have like two captain's chairs and then a row? No, just a row. So oh, it's okay. like the two front seats. Right. And there's a, ro- a bench, and then the back has two f- seats in the back. Oh, okay. If there's nice, an option nice. for captain's chairs, but I don't have that option. That's what's up. But they all fold down, and like, so I had a pickup truck for forever. Yeah, yeah. And like, I don't know. Like, it was in my mind. I don't know how anybody lives without a pickup truck because, like, going and buying plywood for a building shit or moving my fucking drums and shit around. Pickup truck was great because I just close the lid, lock it, and I can leave my shit overnight. Yeah, no one can see it. Uh, it was awesome. And then you didn't even have like a, uh, you didn't even have like one of those like, like you're just talking about the bed. You had a yeah, but I had bed. like a the the like the what they called it a tonneau cover. It was like a a low cap. Right, and but it was not like not like one of the things that like makes the whole thing kind of like an SUV. Correct. Not one of those. I did not have that. Right. Yeah, okay. it was like a hard lid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was low for sure. Yeah. So I, uh, but I mean like. My, you need 80 bags of whatever mulch okay I'll, we can move that and like it was great totally great and then like kids came and there's only two seats in the pickup truck so I need more yeah and uh but then you didn't even get a regular minivan no I like, got you got like a and it looks fucking cool it looks like an Apache helicopter dude I love it and I got these like roof racks on so I can still move plywood and I can still do what I need to do um and it fits a ton of shit a ton of shit. Dan's like a super handy guy. Like, there's no use in listing the. Th- well, first off, you own a home, mm-hmm. so, so just to be a little bad, you have to yeah. know a little bit of something. But then you kind of take it like the next level, right? Well, like, because the home that we bought was broken, so I had to learn how to do everything right to make my house habitable. Like the radiators, it was foreclosed on the previous owner. Okay. And they never winterized the radiators. Okay. So they all froze and cracked. So when we walked in the first time, it was just black water coming down all the walls. So we got it for very, very wow. little money. And then learned on that house how to do everything. Hmm. So now, like, this is another funny story. Yesterday, I, or two days ago, I noticed uh, a big puddle in the basement. There was a leaky pipe somewhere. So I said, fuck, what am I going to do? And I did some thinking and found where it was. I ended up shooting a nail into, accidentally into a water pipe behind a wall. I didn't know it was there. Mm. Okay, But, like... There wasn't like a moment of panic. It was the it was was it it was the day before New Year's Eve. That was mm-hmm. the day it happened. So there was no moment of panic. It was like okay, shut the water off, and I made sure to put all the shutoffs in where I know they are in the basement. Shut the water off. I got to cut a hole in the wall. It's probably going to be right here. I have all the tools for this. Pipe's going to be right there because I took pictures of everything inside. I know where they are, and I cut the pipe and got the blowtorch out and just fixed it. Got the blowtorch out and. Because that's a how you torch? that's how you put pipes together. You like blowtorch. You have a blowtorch, Dan. I have a couple. <laughs> I've got a couple. I got the automatic one, and then I got the one for uh, like you know low flame, like the air compressor connected thing. Or? Uh no. Okay. No, two little just um, propane things. propane things. Okay. And then I got one big propane one that shoots a big ball of fire for burning, uh, like grass and weeds in the sidewalk and in the patio. That Bur- thing's pretty great. <laughs> Why can't you just pick them, bro? Right. <laughs> because you know, you're gonna bend over if you just light the fucking fire and walk around and you just burn them. Are you serious? Yeah, 
It's a long uh, tube. That's like a common thing that people do. They burn their weeds instead of pulling them. Yeah, there's a whole apparatus designed just for that. Not in the grass, but like in, right, in yeah, between yeah, the yeah. cracks of the sidewalk. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure, for sure. And then I have to spray chemicals and the kids can go play outside. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's pretty fun. It and sounds I, like it. It is good. And you use it to start the fires. I use it to start the fires also. Like we have a fire pit in the backyard. I know. We use the flamethrower. And you have a huge barbecue grill that you could roast whole parts of pigs and, and yeah. cows on. That's true also. I'm jelly, Dan. Come over. The next time you like have to fix some shit, like seriously call me. Okay. Because I'd, I'd love to just hand you screwdrivers. Okay. Uh, okay. We're going to replace some light fixtures next week. I'm all about it. All right. Seriously. And like I have, I have time. Okay. It'll be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah for Let's sure. do that, and then we'll talk more. I, absolutely. And yeah, we can learn how electricity works. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so serious. Cause like, I I'm am like, too. I'm like doing production assistant work on like, I did a commercial like three weeks ago, and then I did a music video like last week. Mm-hmm. And like all of that is really just like help me like know what to do with like lights that I have here and like, you know, I kind of like I kind of like collect cool stuff and then figure out weird shit to do with it later. Yeah. And um, that's hoarder mentality, uh-oh. but it's also great. That's not good though, right? No, but it's 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 if you long as you do stuff with it, it's great. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've done stuff. Do with the it. stuff, yeah. And I don't just grab anything like, oh, you got some rocks. Let me get some of those rocks. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. I do. <laughs> I don't want your rocks, but you know. How can you turn down an overhead projector? I yeah, man, that's why I took it. I got yelled at for that actually. Really? Yeah. So uh, for taking it or for selling it? For putting a picture of it on on Facebook. Ooh. Yeah, yelled at by who? By uh, somebody. Oh, okay. Somebody. Is it that, okay though? It's okay now. Yeah, they're just like oh. so that what that did belong to my school. Oh. And then like we migrated away from that technology. Got it. To like you know. So you just copped it. So yeah. Okay. With like. I knew they were going away, and I talked to the lady. I was like, listen, if these are going in the dumpster, can I just one. grab one before it falls in after yeah, you drop yeah, it? Yeah. And then put it in my truck? They're like, cool, but you probably, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. I took some, at, when I worked at Old Navy, yeah. no, no, when I worked at The Gap, they had this, uh, they had this cutout of this kid that they put in the window, and everybody said the kid looked like it was my child. Oh, that's funny. So once we pulled it out, I took it home. Yeah. And, like, I put it, like, behind my TV. <laughs> and, like, sometimes I would, like, set it up for, like, people to take pictures with. That's great. And, like, people started seeing it. And then, like, I, was, I probably can't have this gap fixture thing up. Yeah. Just on Facebook all wild and stuff. Right. But it was cool. That's a good thing. It's a conversation starter. It is. Yeah. It is. People started calling him Lil Rojo. That's great. That's weird. What are you going to do? Dan, bring your drum set, bro. All right. Do something weird. All right. I got like a bunch of so I got like a bunch of records. I got a sampler. I got turntables. Got a little MIDI keyboard. You, you know? got a nice like the beginning of a really nice setup here. I got an even littler keyboard. You know, yeah, so <laughs> I thought it was a uh, uh, thing you blow into. Yeah, where am I? Melodica. Yeah. No, no, no. That's just for like sweet like uh, bass lines. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, you would like that snarky puppy shit. Just looking at like the. Looking at the keyboard that you have. Yeah. I think you would, you're going to enjoy it. When it you out. check it out in like four months, text me. <laughs> like <laughs> like when I checked out the Joe Rogan podcast oh, four no, months no, no, after no. you told me about it. 
No, we was like, that's what I'm doing in here. Like, I'm like, I'm trying to put together like a DJ set, but it's weird because I'm using all vinyl, mm-hmm. and I'm using vinyl like, like these are all songs that we know, but like I don't know that I have everything, right? Because like I got Michael Jackson off the wall, you know, but then I got like Minnie Riverton shit, mm-hmm. and I got like. You like gotta go through it all to know what you have to then know what you can like put together. So, like, yeah, I just spend like a lot of time in here, just like that's 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 the grind, right? Of like records. good DJs. That's what yeah. that's what they do. Know what they got. My old roommate in college designed this software, where uh, this is like when mashups were like the thing, you okay. know. So he designed this software to like catalog bass lines and drum tracks hmm. and vocal lines and all this shit, right? Like. Basically, like deconstructing tunes sure. for thousands and thousands of pieces of music, wow. and then organizing them by like key and tempo range and whatever. Yeah, yeah. So with his little controllers that he sort of builds and invents, he's able to do like you know this Metallica bass line with this Mini Ripperton vocal because it's in a similar enough key, sure, so sure, the sure. software will pair it. Yeah, and you can control it all in real time. That's crazy. So his fucking DJ sets are awesome with that shit. Yeah. Serato kind of does something like that. Like, it gives you some analytics on music. Like, it gives you BPM. I think it gives you the key that the song may be in mm-hmm. or something like that. I don't know if it catalogs it automatically for you, though. I don't know either. Yeah. I don't know anything about it. Are you, I just familiar, know are you familiar with, with Serato? No. It's like these, uh, they're platters. Like, so they look like records. Okay. And you put them down, and the needle spins, and it something goes into the input inputs that... The platter translates digitally. Huh. So it'll like, like you'll hook it up to your computer and then you'll put the platters down and if you're scratching on the platters, it'll scratch on the... On the MP3 or whatever? On the, yeah. Hmm. And in your computer and stuff. That's cool. Yeah. But so I it's like, like sampling records, basically. Kind of. It's like, it's like turning MP3s into records. Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 So like, sampling the functionality of turntables. Right. Because any every record is any song. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it just turns it just turns cool. into that song. Yeah. But I like having vinyl, man. And there's a yeah. there's a part of me that likes to say that like, you know, that off the wall, that's from the seventies. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's not something I went and was like, I'm an adult now. Yeah. Let me go buy it go off, off yeah. the wall. Like no. Yeah. I think it says, like, promotional copy only on the back or something. something. Yeah, that and I agree, and it's, like, a m- much more active way to listen to music. Like, you have to pay attention because you only get, like, 20 minutes. Yeah, for sure. you got to be there to flip it over, right? Yeah. I, I think it's great, and you have to be more, it's just so much more careful than, like, this is what I'm doing right now. That stuff's coming back. Hmm? It, and it, always, it always kind of does. Like, I feel like <clears> we, <throat> in an effort to make stuff easy, one thing I do like about humans is I feel like we know when we've made something too easy. Hmm. Or we we feel like there should be that more should go into this, right? Like, um, I'm trying to think of a good example. Yeah, I'm struggling too. I mean, there's always going to be like that purist, like that's not how it's supposed to be done. Yeah, you know what I'm saying, but that's different than I think what you're describing. Or like even like okay, so I've I've held these records until records have been cool again. Right, because mm-hmm. there was definitely a time not too long ago where like, this is shit. Like no one cares that I have this. How many iPods do you have, my nigga? Like, yeah. Do you have 160 gigs of music? Do you have a terabyte of music that you ripped from 
from LimeWire? Do you have these like super obscure like things that you these freestyles that you found on Napster and blah blah yeah. blah? And like now it's like nah, but I got this like original pressing of Bitches Brew, bruh. I got yep. this like you know whatever. Yeah, it's good. And now you know you go to Urban Outfitters, which is like one of the coolest places. Not one of the most probably trendiest. Mm. Like it's cool. It's cool by design, though. Like it's not. Yeah, cool, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, like not cool because it became cool. It's cool right. Because like they did, it's they like, did the it's, research. It's like if those glasses were like from your dad, mm. you know, like they were all he had at the time of the glasses, but you were able to keep them until now, like, mm. bro, did you get those from Warby Parker? Or, yeah, like, I did. Just, like, <laughs> nah, bro, these are these are what Warby Parker were thinking of when they made theirs. Right, it's a different thing. Exactly yeah, right. for sure. But now I have to say, I'd be like, yeah. But I also get to live with the reality that I didn't do it because it's cool, I did it because I'm lazy. Okay. <laughs> or because you really need glasses now. Yeah, and I don't, well, I do need glasses, but I could get glasses from the plate, like the Pearl Vision around the corner if I wanted to. But I went to Warby Parker because I don't have to leave my house. I don't have to schedule. Oh, okay. I thought you went to Warby Parker because you prefer a little bit of style. A little flair. Mm, I do. I do. But to to do that shit at fucking, where I used to go, like at Pearl even, it was like $400 for my last pair of frames. That's crazy. Pearl, you're right. I'm thinking of like America's Best. Like. Two for seventy nine ninety nine. I don't do that. And you were like Randy Jackson. I do like a, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do like a little bit of flair, as you can tell by my Carhartt uh, button up shirt here. I That's hate cool. those kind of buttons, but I love that. You, I noticed that your jacket was Carhartt right away. It's because like that's that's like, function over over fashion. Oh, but but kind of. But because fashion, like Carhartt I also like is like works. Carhartt again. Carhartt's coming back around to like, you know, it's like um. It's like an industry standard almost. That's right. Like you don't know you don't you don't know you're on you're in construction for real, or you don't know you're working in the union for real until yeah. you get your car hard jacket. Right. Or don't be too don't be super hardcore and get like the zip up the whole zip up bodysuit mm-hmm. thing. I don't have one of those. No, I'm gonna. I was actually just telling my mom I'm probably gonna get a car hard coat because I want like a. Like, I do this, like... You can't argue against it. They're 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 amazing. Yeah. I'm getting... I want, like, the parka. Because mm-hmm. I got a hood and stuff. Like, because I do this, like, coat by committee thing. Like, I do, like, layers and stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm over it. Yeah, man. Just one time. I just want one coat. Yep. I can put on and have just, like, a shirt on underneath. That's right. Don't have to worry about it. You'll be fine. Hoodie. Go have a base layer on today. Mm-hmm. I have a sweatshirt, too. Like, yep. put on... No, it's, coat, it's, it's been treating me well. This is, like, your... This is like my fifth or sixth winter of my Carhartt life, and yeah. it's it's great. You're gonna raise your kids in that coat, like that coat's not gonna go anywhere. Yeah, until I decide I don't feel like wearing it. Right, right, right. Like, like my, Amanda's brother Matt, I think he still has his. Like you're saying, like since he was in high school. How's Matt? Is he good? Yeah, real good. Nice. They got a little girl. Him and June. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, Amelia, and she's super cute. How old is she? She is like three months younger than Calvin, so you they're going to be super cute. That's crazy. Yeah. That's and crazy. they're like both running around and that's what's up. playing with each other, and they get excited to see each other. It's great. That's it is awesome. great. They're doing a, uh, you know, you should come. on uh, At the end of the month, they're doing like a Christmas tree burn and a chili party. Where? Hobo chili at, at his house. Where is that? You can that's come like, with us. It's like in, far uh, out it's far out, yeah, it's in Dunner's Grove. Okay. But come with us. It's awesome. So he's got a big, big, big backyard. So he's got a, 
Yeah, he does like four foot fire. He does like car stuff. He does like bike stuff. Like he's like he's like he's a machine extreme. head. Yeah, he like yeah, yeah. does like trash drag racing. And he was gluten free before any of these other gluten free <laughs> freaks hopped out here. Yeah, he was like authentic. Can't eat that, bro. Because he'll die. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's got a reason. Though. Right. And now it's, it's like, not because it's cool. It's now it's like, yeah. I'm on a gluten-free diet. Like, yeah. you know, I know a motherfucker who could have died from eating gluten. Get out of yeah. here with your, yeah. your, your uh, fashion your diet. Your fake shit. Yeah. Apparently, there's research that that's, like, unhealthy. What? Like, if you're not allergic to gluten, you should be eating gluten. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Like, I if heard... you just do it for, like, for fashion or because it's, like, a fad or whatever, it's not healthy. I heard that like that weed shit is not good for anybody. For a lot of people, it's not. It causes a lot of inflammation and stuff. For that, that's what it is. Yeah. Like for the people who have the allergy or the intolerance, right, right. it's either like uh, digestive or it's like a rheumatoid type thing. Yeah. Um, the digestive thing is big because you know there's like a lot of bacteria in your stomach and stuff, mm-hmm. and like in your intestines, and like the big claim on like pesticides and stuff is that like. It only kills the bacteria, and then when you eat it, it affects the bacteria in your body. Hmm. I think I said that right. I understand what you're saying. I didn't. I never heard that. That makes sense, though. Yeah. So people are like drinking kombucha like it's crazy and mm. stuff now. I don't know. Are you a super health conscious guy? Do you do you pay no. attention to any of that stuff? No. No, but I'm interested in in stories, and I've heard people tell stories about it. Hilarious. Uh, I yeah, I I eat uh, pizza rolls. Totino's pizza rolls. <laughs> Those are delicious. That's what's up. Yeah. I mean, I don't like rub them on myself, but I like to eat them. That's what's up. You know? When was the last time you had a good salad, Dan? My wife makes a real good salad. That she, uh, I tease her. Well, she thinks I'm teasing her, but I'm complimenting her. Uh, I call it the smoke salad because there's okay. that ribs place up on the north side called Smoke. And uh-huh. if you're familiar, it's really good. Okay. Uh, and they do a salad. And this one reminds me of that. I don't even know if it tastes similar or has any of the same ingredients. <laughs> okay. But I call it her smoked salad, and she gets fucking mad. What's on it? Uh, she does it with, like, sunflower seeds and, like, just lettuce and a bunch of vegetables and shit. I don't think she puts that almonds. in Almonds. I'm just thinking about all this, like, candy stuff I like to make salads. Like, I like to put on salads to make them less salad-y. Yeah. To candy. They're stuff. good. Some of them are good. Some, some of them salads. Some of them are good. <laughs> but, yeah, you gotta put stuff on it. Yeah, Amanda's probably going to balance out your pizza roll eating, right? No, and she it's its not excessive. And I, that's thats by my own sort of choice. But having having the boys is interesting because, like, you have to... Like, they don't let you sleep in, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, so I have to be more careful than I guess I have been in, in the past. Where, like, my old diet strategy was always... In the morning, I just, like, wake up and drink a bunch of coffee. And in the middle of the day, eat some stuff. And then, like, dinner, eat whatever I feel like, and then just continue snacking until so I go to bed. Sleep. Which is the worst possible way to eat, right? Yeah. Um, if anything, it should be the reverse. Right. right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but that's what I was doing for my whole life. Right. And until I go to bed, could be three in the morning, because sure. I watch shitty movies at nighttime. That's what I like to do. But now I can't do that anymore. So even even though I still, like... Eat a little at breakfast. I eat a good lunch and a good dinner, and then I do snack a little. But like, I go to bed by eleven. Okay. Because I have to be up at five thirty when they wake up. When they wake up. Nuts. Yeah. That's what's up. Yeah, but you gotta come by and hang out with Calvin, and we'll say we'll change some some light fixtures. I'm down. 
And you made a face when I said bring your drum set. You don't have to bring it here. I can bring. Well, I can my bring face. It, you know, I, I can I'll bring explain that face. Very perceptive. My face is. I haven't fucking played my drum set in a long time. Oh, okay. So I don't even know if I can play anymore. So uh, do you do you know Adam? Adam uh, Fitz. He's you know Chris Merrill and all the Drastics guys. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. So um, Adam uh, is a guy I play played with for a long time with Chris over okay. on the Drastics, and uh, he moved to Pennsylvania like two years ago, and. I don't think I've played since he moved. Wow. I definitely haven't played out since he moved. And, like, with the kids, I just don't go down there, except to, like, screw around with them. Like, Calvin has his little headphones that he puts on and bangs away. But I haven't, like, played, played. You guys have a, you have a digital kit? No, I've got a, my regular drums. Oh, oh that you I put actually, on headphones to, like, protect his ears and stuff. Yeah, the little, sure, little, sure. little muffles. Got it, got it, got it. But, yeah, that's my, my intro to building stuff was I built my drum set. I was like, that's like what, what, what connected me to making. So I, when I when I moved back to Chicago, uh-huh. um, please don't blow my fucking mind right now, Dan. You, what do you mean you built your drum set? Like I bought all the just the wood and like I drilled all the holes and cut the bearing edges and stained it and like I, I got to buy the shells all that I wanted because I didn't know how to bend wood at that time. So okay, so you didn't do that part. No. Okay. But like, there's companies that like will sell you just the raw shell at, like, whatever size you want. Okay. So I told them how big I wanted it. And then uh, this is the hardware I wanted to use, and I wanted to use, you know, I wanted to stain it this way, and I wanted the bearing edges cut a certain angle where, hmm. like, the head ties on, like, where the head meets the shell, you know, there's sure, like sure, a sure. little sharp edge. So I learned how to, you know, use routers and sand and stain and put a finish on from making my own drums. And I got these awesome, beautiful drums that sound great for... Much less than I would have had to buy, like, a nice really? nice kit, yeah. So I got, uh, I made, at this point I've got, so my four toms and two bass drums and my, my little snare drum that I have a Dan Salyer's original. You have two bass drums? I have a 20 and an 8, like a jazz bass drum, a little 18. Oh. I don't ever play them together. Oh, okay, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> you play double bass drums? No, I don't <laughs> oh, do that. shit. No, I spent a lot of time in college, like, like, dogging double bass drum drumming and like got my one foot real real fast really I was really proud of that huh and then it, I, I, I it doesn't work anymore. anymore no not the way not the way it does in my head the leg part doesn't listen jeez but it used to be pretty quick it's crazy I was very proud of it and that, that was my like fucking pussy you need two bass drums <laughs> shit. you know what I mean and like I was like so proud of myself but <laughs> when do you need that you That's never need crazy. that shit really <laughs> come on jazz drummer no I mean, I can do what I need for, like, jazz, like, combo drumming. But, like, unless you're going to do, like, for a really long time, you don't need two bass drums. Or if you're going to go, like, something like that, that's different. But I don't, I don't even do that. I got a big four time. <laughs> do you hold one of your drumsticks like this? Uh-huh. Like a chopstick? Like a chopstick? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, it's called traditional grip, yes. Really? I do. That's how, that's, I don't know, that's always so, like, I always see guys playing brushes with those, like that. Yeah, well, that's like the traditional style, right? And, okay. um, sort of the theory behind it, this is a whole other topic, but the theory behind it is the weight is not on top of the drum, so you can play a little, a little more gently that way. Because okay. your whole arm isn't leaning down on top of the stick. Got it. It's more just a little bit. But the real reason is that people are pretentious, I think, to be honest with you. Because, okay. like... The reason it exists is like back in the old like field drum days where the drum was on a strap and would hang. Okay. Like this is really uncomfortable, so you you did this instead. And then when drum sets sort of came around, 
people would have their snare drum tilted that way because that's what was comfortable and that's how they learned how to play. Hmm. But now that you can make that flat, there's no reason to play this way other than it looks cool. Yeah, I have not had the mustache to play like that, right? I can't. I can't do. Kinda. I can't do the mustache, but I, uh, I, I, I play like that because I thought it was honestly because well, this is another sad, sappy thing. So to play regular, tradition or uh, match grip, um, you touch it with all your hands, and a lot of guys I know take their rings off when they play because like you bump into it, right? And in my college like learning days, I was like, I know I'm going to get married someday. I know I'm not going to want to deal with taking the ring off and losing it, so I'm just going to learn how to play this way instead so I don't have to deal with that, which is a super silly way to make decisions. So many layers, Dad. I agree. So many <laughs> layers. <But> yeah, that, <laughs> that went was through not my head. expecting that one. That's what went through my head. So now I don't have to take it off. Well, we just did this whole long Cuban goodbye. Yeah. That's when you say bye and you don't leave. You That's say right. bye again. Polish goodbye is the way hey, man. I've been taught to use it. That's interesting. It. Culture. Yep. That's right. But yeah, this is great. I agree. And we've made plans. Let's not flake. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for joining the show. Thanks Do you have any questions for me? You don't have any questions for me, right? No, next no. time maybe. That's what's up. Um, episode 76, The Rojo Show. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher. Wherever your podcast needs are being met, there's a Jared button there. So tune in. And as you know, if you're not sharing... You're not a fan. Uh, Later.